Hello to you. Hello, hello. Oh, these are the precious final uh, uh, lousy Skype calls. So precious. So we'll miss them. We don't oh, realize it. We don't realize it now, but one day we'll look back at this and we'll say, those those were the glory days of Sneaky Dragon. Yeah, yeah, they were. Completely. You, the bad sound, me, yelling. Me, it was pristine sound and you yelling from a cave. That is, you are. You do have the most beautiful sound. <laughs> it's, it's a real goddamn advantage that you've got. It's unfair in any debates that we have. <laughs> That's true. You're like perfectly auto-tuned and I'm just screaming. <laughs> People are like... Dave's really not making any logical sense, but he sounds so good. I wish he'd just keep talking and uh, Mr. Squeaks would just uh, get get out of that uh, that, uh, sewer tube from Shawshank Redemption. Ian the Hermit would go back to be quiet in his cave. By the way, just so you know, I'm drinking Mr. Cola, which I'm told on the label is the aristocrat of colas. Oh, very nice. So, uh, I... Are you okay? Is things going okay? Can't afford Coca Cola anymore. Are you all right? <laughs> this is what Lisa. This is Lisa's thing. She she likes the uh, boutique pops. Oh, the boutique. Okay, what's the difference between the boutique pops and the mom are we for pops? What's the difference? <laughs> well, those those bottled pops are expensive. They're not cheap. Okay. Oh, the bottle kind. Like like I I used to like a Moxie, a cherry Moxie. Okay. With, uh, cola. That would there be you nice. Go. Yeah, I'd have, yeah, I'd have something like that. That'd be fine. Yeah, this is but, like when you go to Save On Foods, let's say, which is where we go. There's a little right. like shelf full of like the you pop shop. You go for your sodas, you go for your vaccinations. It's that's true. It's, it's, it's an all right. It's a, the, uh, what is it called? The one-stop shop. A one-stop shop for, yeah. yeah. And Boutique the, colas and vaccinations. Not, and there's right. no difference between them. Yeah, uh, come on in, get some discount nuts, and end the play. <laughs> yeah. But these aren't, dis- these aren't discount, though. These are These are more expensive than like... Buying a, a, a six pack of Coke. Okay. Like this is like you know like you didn't realize this when you were a kid, but when you were eating when you were drinking not eating but you were drinking pop shop pops, you were drinking a boutique cola that wouldn't one day cost five dollars at the same <laughs> one. Mm, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that, mm, that's good pineapple. I guess I got here last, and so I got the pineapple. That's <clears> fine. This has a. Hmm. It's interesting. It has almost a grape flavor to it. This uh, Mr. Cola. I, I'm kind of doubting this. <laughs> it's more like a, it's more like a grape cola. Do you think that he's working his way up to try to be Doctor Cola? Well, I'm just like, wondering why, if you're an aristocrat, your name is Mister. Oh, so like it would be Esquire instead. It should be well, Esquire just is a you could be a lawyer and be an Esquire. No, uh, I would I would think you should have a Sir there, right? That indicates your a your, Sir. Yeah, Sir Cola. Oh, like it's been knighted though. Like how would it? Like, well, it says it's British. an aristocrat. It says it's an aristocrat. I assume. That- I don't think a British cola would be good. <laughs> do you think a British cola sounds good to you? Uh no, because they don't know how to do it properly. No, you need someone from the south who's yeah, like in yeah. a pharmacy who's a little crazy, <laughs> well, a little crazy from the heat, and like they're That's still right. a doctor, but they can't sure. practice. Trying desperately so- to a, to to appeal to some to his girlfriend's dad. Yeah, they're working in the pharmacy. They can still dispense drugs, but they can't give advice. Like something happened, and so it's like I <clears> gotta <throat> do something with my time. And <laughs> so it starts mixing things together, and then it's like it's a sodi pop. There you go. You know, it's good for your digestion. Oh my god, you don't want to argue with the guy because he gets real mad real fast. <laughs> and then it's like it's okay, it's okay. So you let Doctor Pepper give you a drink. Yeah, and you're like that's fine. Sure. Yeah. But this is a Mister Cola. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's kind All of right. like Mister Pib. Now I'm looking. Uh, now I'm just trying to look this up. 
Mr. Cola and see if, uh, see if there's a mascot or anything like that. Yeah. See what's on the, the label. Oh, no, no, I think, oh, this is, that's too big a mister. What's, <laughs> oh. what's he trying to say? Oh, what? No, 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 no. There's a problem with this. Yeah, it's in quotation marks? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's quotation marks around the mister. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's that shit about? <laughs> is it like ironic mister? Mr. Yeah, Cola. Mean? Yeah, what's that mean? <laughs> Like there, it means there's something wrong. Like he's not a mister. Yeah. Like you know he's not a mister. I think it's a nickname. Oh. I think his real name is like John Cola, but okay. Everyone, everyone calls him. Everyone calls him Mister. Oh, okay. That's they that, call him Mister Cola. That's right. That's yeah. a famous scene from In the Heat of the Night, where where the bottle of cola tells the sheriff. Yeah. That he's a bottle of cola. They yeah, call me. Yeah, uh, bottle of cola. It was there hanging around. With five other colas, and it's like uh, we're gonna—it was the only one we could get, though. And yeah, you bring him in, and then you find out, you know, I'm a New York cola. I'm like, oh, jeez, no, no when, idea. When you're growing up, when you're growing up, when you're my age and you're growing up, you hear a lot about Sidney Poitier being like a great actor, and you believe it. You're like, okay, okay. I'll believe that because I'm—you're telling me, and I have no way to argue about this. And then you see him in that movie, and he says that line, and you think, was that the best reading? With that line, like it doesn't. Well, did he, did it he feels really that? actorly. It does not feel in the moment like a natural okay, let me thing. Let ask you this: mm-hmm. Did he say the line in the movie? They call me Mister Tibbs. Did he say it as well? I have never, one? I have never seen that movie. I'll, well, maybe I have seen that, but I do not remember that movie. So if I have seen it, I feel like I had a chance to see it, and I thought, you know what, it's probably not that good, so I didn't watch it. Okay, we saw in the heat of the night in school because it was mandatory. Yes, you, ha- we, you in order to pass. You you had to. Uh, this is before they brought in like uh, things where you had to learn. You had to put together like a portfolio for graduation, mm-hmm. like they do nowadays with like how to get a job and stuff like that. This, before that time, you just had to watch in the heat of the night, and they're like, okay, you can go on in your schooling. Yeah, that was actually uh, they call me Mister Tibbs was number sixteen on the American Film Institute's uh, one hundred top one hundred movie quotes. I wonder if that book's banned in schools now. What, what what book in the heat of the night? Yeah. Well, you can't read it out loud, probably. To, to Kill a Mockingbird is banned in Surrey. You can't teach that book. <sighs> yeah, okay, okay. All right. That's the way that is. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I just wonder, because, you know, they're, they're, of a, they're of a kind. They're kind of, they both kind of skirt the, skirt the, uh, boundaries of, of good taste in, its, in their portrayal. I mean, I think all you have to do is you have to say, you know, uh, just don't say these certain words, and you. I I don't think it's because of those words. I think it's because it's unfair to Southern people. That's why it's okay. <laughs> a, okay. Uh, and there's a big protest: unfair to crackers. <laughs> yeah, you think that they'd be bothered by the uh, <laughs> by, by, by being called crackers, but but no, it's the no, it's, that's the other. Thing. That's the portrayal. Of- here's a qu- here's a quick question for you. Uh, so there was an In the Heat of the Night TV series, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar with that? And uh, yeah, that, didn't that also that, feature Rob Rob Rod? No, no, it had Archie Bunker, Carol O'Connor, that's right, Carol O'Connor that's doing right. doing the Rod Steiger role from the film. Yeah, but um, uh, uh, Howard Howard Rollins was uh, was you know good old tips. Mm-hmm. Um, how long? How many seasons do you think that show ran? Oh, uh, maybe five seasons. It ran seven. Oh, okay. Longer yeah, than I thought. it ran it I was didn't, 142 I, episodes my, and four TV movies. 
four TV movies. Yeah. That's one more TV movie than the Rockford Files got, isn't it? Or did they do two seasons of that? Maybe they got six movies. Never these mind. Are, these are all very good questions. I'm just very surprised <laughs> I don't know if they're good that questions. they got seven seasons. Yeah, yeah. Out of that. Uh, but I mean, it was just a mystery show like Murder, She Wrote by that point. Like, it's not yeah. it's not really like exploring like issues of race and stuff like that. Oh, and then, and then the reason they stopped doing them was because the lead actor died. So that's... Uh, That'll do it. That'll stop your show. Henry oh, Rollins sad. is dead? Uh, Hugh, Hugh, o- Hugh O'Connor. Carol O'Connor. No, oh, sorry. Hugh O'Connor, who's one of the main actors in the, in the series, uh, died. Oh, and really? So, not Carol O'Connor, who played, no, not played the show? How strange. So the two leads in the show, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tibbs and, yeah. and uh, the sheriff, played by Carol O'Connor, did not die, but a side character... Yeah, died, and that and that was enough to close. It must yeah. have, it must have been on on life support by that point. It could it could have been, and also it's a sad thing. Uh, Carol O'Connor's son, both this actor and Carol O'Connor's son, both committed suicide just before the fourth movie, and so everyone was just no, we're not doing it anymore. Yeah, so that was the that was the end of that. Mm, that's too bad. But seven seasons, holy moly, that's a, that's a lot to get out of. You know. To, they really got got along, Mr. Tibbs and the uh, <laughs> racist Southern sheriff. Well, that's yeah, the it all worked out for them. Yeah, for them. that's the that's the. But I mean, in the TV show, he's 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 accepted. You know, like they're 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 friends. I'm yeah. I we, that that yeah. whole that whole kind of that whole element of the book is is gone out out the window. I really enjoyed that book reading it when I was a. A student. No, I, I thought that. it was. Uh, I thought it was good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it too because you could read. In the class, movie. The movie's good too. Directed by a Canadian. You know? Who? Who was the? Uh, who's the director? Don't ask me to remember his name. All right. It's not the director that directs everything, right? It's not that guy. Alan Smithy. <laughs> no. 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 Uh, you know that guy, uh, Norman. Uh, it's Norman, Norman Jewison. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Norman yeah. Jewison yeah. directs everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. He directed okay. in the heat of the night. Yes. Yes, of course he did. He and I think, hard. and I think his editor or his cinematographer was Hal Ashby on that movie as well, because they worked together uh, quite a bit in the sixties. This all, this all makes a, a heck of a lot of. Uh, Hell, was, uh, are you talking cinematography? That was Haskell Wexler. Okay, so oh, so the editor edited, edited by Hal Ashby. Yeah, Hal Ashby it was the editor, who of course went and, on to make uh, one of the greatest movies ever. Oh, what was that? Harold and Maude. Oh, very, very nice. And, you know, Shampoo and The Last Detail. And he had quite a run of, of movies. Then he fell up, then the wheels fell right off in the 80s. But through the 70s, he was like hot stuff. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, uh, Norman Jewison directed every other movie in the world. Yeah, so, you know, you go, so, you go something like, <laughs> yes, he was you know, in the heat of the night. Well, what else did he do? Like, he didn't do Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay, but he didn't do Moonstruck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, well, how about the Thomas Crown Affair? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. Okay, next you're going to say Rollerball. Uh-huh. Okay, well, th- why don't you just tell me a soldier story? Yeah, he did that one, too. Oh, for fuck's sake. And it just gets stupid. Yeah. It just gets stupid at that point. They're like, but he also, he also did the jazz God. singer. It's like Agnes of God. Yeah. He also did the jazz singer with Neil Diamond and Laurence Olivier. Did he? Yep. Okay. Took, took place in Montreal in the movie. Oh, oh that's it. That's fine. <laughs> I, I think he was kind of like the Ron Howard of his day, you know, just one of those kind of a skilled craftsman who could come in and and helm your movie. He didn't. He wasn't a Wait, stylist. Did he, did he direct the jazz singer? The remake, not the original. With with no, no, no. I realized that, but yeah, I'm not yeah. seeing that on his filmography. Oh, it's not on there. I'm pretty sure he did. I'm not seeing it on his filmography right now. No. Am what, I mixing what, what, that up with did tribute? Did he did he do tribute then? 
Uh, tribute, you know. That would have been like 79, 80. 79 he did, and Justice for All. Just before that, he did Fist. Just before, and Fist? after that, he did oh, well. Fist, F-I-S-T, with uh, dots in between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Best Friend. With Sylvester Stallone. And then he did a soldier story. That was kind of, that was a, Wow, and it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't say, um, huh. Well, where did I get the idea that he directed? Well, let's look if he produced it. Maybe. Uh, nope, uh, produced uh, Billy Two Hats. <laughs> uh, Dogs of War, Iceman, January Man. Was he? Was he that? Uh, oh, maybe it was. Um, maybe it was the other guy who directed a lot of Canadian movies. Oh, that guy. Okay. You know who I mean. He directed like Rambo: First Blood, but also did um, the apprenticeship of Daddy Kravitz. So you're talking the Neil Diamond one, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Richard Fleischer. Richard Fleischer. Oh, okay. Well, that I'm a dummy. I've always thought it was Norman Jewison all these, all these years. Well, you know what? That's why we do these shows is just so, you know. But the, but the important thing is you still won the argument because your voice is great. Mine's still, <laughs> I'm like, Let, shut up. Let Dave talk. Let Dave talk with his beautiful, soothing voice. My soothing voice. Yeah. I remember doing Hello, everyone. Um, yep. uh, as, I, as I usually do when I go off on these tangents off the top of the show because I like doing this, <laughs> I mentioned that uh, – uh, they call me Mr. Tibbs was number 16 on the, uh, you know, uh, AFI uh, greatest movie quotes of all time. Oh, okay. Can you name any that are in the top 10? Oh, it's got to be one like, like, uh, I think this one, is the beginning of a beautiful friendship or. Oh, let's see. A beautiful friendship. Oh, friend, oh, that is not in the top 10, which is so strange. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful friendship. Oh, yeah. That's number 20. Okay. Well, I got that close. Should be in, that should be in the top 10. <laughs> Right? I would think so. But I think, you know, the problem with those lists is, is over time, other things take take over, right? So so you get things like, you know, show me the money is being like, you know, becomes way more popular. Yeah, that's not... Uh, show me the money is 25. Yeah, you're right. Um, gee, in the top. I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you two in the top 10 are Brando quotes. Brando? Yeah, Marlon Brando. Oh, I guess give him an offer he can't refuse. Boom, that is number two. That's correct. And followed by number three. Number three. Which is also Marlon Brando, which is, I hate my fucking son, get him off of Krypton. That was, that's uh, Marlon Brando in Superman, he says. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be, uh, where's the butter from Last Tango in Paris? Where's the butter is not on here. <laughs> No. Just, and also, I think it was get the butter. Get the butter. <laughs> I don't think it's where's the butter. I want to go look for the butter. I think it's please go find that butter. Oh, my God. And number 45, by the way. I'm yeah. going to throw this one right off. Mm-hmm. Stella, hey, Stella. That's gone. That's 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 not in the top 10, but he also got that one. Okay. Stella. Um, let's see what else what might be in there. Um, is there one like uh, use the force, Luke? <laughs> You know what? Use the four. May the force be with you. Is number eight. Okay, that's the one I meant. But but you're remembering Marlon Brando being in that movie, which I keep telling you is not the case. <laughs> he's not in it. Isn't he yeah. dressed in like a big white suit? And he has he's called up by crystals being placed in other crystals. Yeah, I'm going to force him to to take this offer. Is what he says. <laughs> you don't understand the power of the mafia. <laughs> What a, what else would be great quotes from movies? Um, how about how about um, Rosebud? 
that again, he's not uh, he's not in that movie, Dave. As much as, <laughs> as much as I Wait, is this only Ro- on Is this only uh, Marlon Brando? Oh, I so oh, sorry. You am I trying to find the third the the other quote that he the made? Other from, quote, the oh, I don't. I just I totally this was right, moving I'll, on. I'll give you. I'll give you a good. I was clue moving on. Let me just think. Let me just. Don't, don't, don't. Okay, and if not, I'll give you his first name, the character of his his character's first name. Then um, he's going to say the horror, the horror. Nope. Colonel Kurtz. Okay. Uh, let's see now. Um. No, a good guess. That's a really good guess. What else did he do? Oh, I could have been somebody. Yes, that's right. The, enti- the, the, the actual full quote is, you don't understand. I could have had class. Mm. I could have been a contender. I could have been someone. Instead of a bum, which is what I am, get the butter. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, funny how he improvised that line in so many movies. And yeah. it only made sense in one. I swallowed a bug, get the butter. Did actually make sense. <laughs> Did make sense because, you know, that butter would help him get that bug out of there. Okay, so let's just see if you can get number one. Number one is like probably the most quoted. This is the, you know, it's the it's the big movie and it's the big quote. Um, this this falls, uh, this falls into lyrics for me. Uh, let me just You think. know what? I'll give you a clue here. Okay. Uh, you couldn't watch this movie last year. We couldn't watch this movie last year. Could not watch this movie last year, no. Not through normal means. Really? It got yanked a bit. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't know that. I don't know the story you're telling me, so let me... This is interesting. Uh, okay, so it's a big movie. Big... Oh, brother, it's a big one. It's a bigger... Oh, my gosh, it's so big. Big, 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 big. Um... And it's also, let's say, historical. <laughs> All right. It, it's big and it's historical. Is it? Oh, it is, Dave. I'm telling you that much. Is it Lawrence of Arabia? It is not Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, okay. Though, if it was Lawrence of Arabia, what would the quote be? I don't know. I don't. I've never seen that movie. Uh, I think the tr- the trick is not to mind. I would say that would be the uh, the quote from Lawrence okay. of Arabia. Okay. I would say. Uh, is it Bridge Over River Kwai? Uh, it is. Uh, it is not. Okay. No, this is a much, much, much more popular movie than that. It was big in its day. And let me say this. Yep. God, it's long. <laughs> oh my God. It's so long. You go, it's, I'm still watching it. It's still going. Oh my God. It's so long. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. What, what movie is this? What movie is this? Well, Dave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip over all the cards. Yeah, you flip over all the cards, please. And tell you uh, that the quote is, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Oh, that movie. That is yes. a big movie. That's a big movie. Yeah. It's been a yeah. while. Gone with the butter. That was a movie. That was a movie I was forced to watch growing up. Yeah, by my mom, who was a huge fan of those films or that film, and I don't, I don't quite know why. She, I don't know what spoke to to that generation in that film. Was it? It just it's it's spectacle. Well, I think so. This is one of those traveling movies, right? So it comes to your town. Yeah, you get dressed up, you go to it. There's an intermission. Yeah, it's a big deal. You talk about it. It's a movie you talk about going to see. Mm-hmm. It's also you endure it to a degree, uh, and well, yeah, a lot of stuff happens. You know, it's a it's a big it's a big film. So you know, it's, I mean, that scene where all the dead people are like, you know, we see all the wounded dead. Mm-hmm. Holy moly! Where else are you going to see that? That's <laughs> jaw dropping. Yeah, that's insane. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say I'm going to say a character name. Okay, and let's see if you can get the if you can get the uh, 
the the the, the, the movie out of it. Okay. Or the quote out of it. Okay. Of okay. Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgore. Lieutenant? This is number 12. Very popular quote. Lieutenant Colonel Bill. Oh, okay. I know. I know what it is. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. Very good. Love it. Fantastic. All right. Margot Channing. Margot Channing. Margot Channing. Huh. There have been songs written about this actress's eyes. Oh, okay. So Betty Davis, I guess. Yes, sir. And so... Saying Margot Channing saying this quote... Which they've put into so many animated things for kids. Oh yes, that's right. I should, like, I should know it, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Um, well, this is embarrassing that I can't remember it. See, this this falls into my my word dyslexia that I have. That sure, I, sure, sure, sure. Like lyric, lyrics, lyrics, dyslexia. Right. I can't remember. Um. I like I like being a bit of a quiz master. And I'm I know you do. I know you do. This, so it's a. Uh, Oh my gosh! I can even like hear the voice doing it. But you I... sure can, can't you? <laughs> what is it? What is it? It is fasten your seatbelts. It's gonna be a bumpy night, which feels like it's gonna be a bumpy ride. I thought it was a bumpy ride. Yeah, yeah. But it, but apparently Wikipedia tells me fasten your seatbelts. It's gonna be a bumpy a bumpy night. Hmm. Uh, Harry Callahan. <laughs> I guess it would be. Do you feel lucky, punk, or make my day? Maybe it's the. Yeah, go ahead, make my day, ahead, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you've been on the Dirty Harry Minute. Oh, my gosh, uh, thank you for bringing that up, actually, because I am I am the worst guest in the world, because I just want to, I just want to excuse myself a little bit, because when, when the show dropped, I went, I was that terribly, that sick day when I was, like, ba- sure, barely sure. into the show, or barely with you. So, uh, but I just want to tell everyone that me, David, mm-hmm. with the beautiful voice, is... Uh, was a guest once again, and a guest on the Deadpool. Uh, it's a Deadpool movie commentary episode of the Dirty Harry Minute. So you can queue up our episode with the movie and watch the film with with mine and the host of the show, John uh, Jonathan Bamden. Once again, two time winner of the <laughs> question and answer uh, episodes. Um, he uh, he and I just sit and, and sort of chatted through the movie, and I made several trenchant observations about the movie, and I was nice. I was witty throughout, and just I I brought it everyone, I just brought it, and it was a lot of fun. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jonathan, that I was so such a laggard in, in promoting it. So, but here is your sneaky dragon bump. So, listeners, please please go to Dirty Harry Minute and give a listen to that episode. You don't even have to watch the movie; you could just listen. It's fine. It's fun. All right, I'll do this final one, and then I'll leave you alone. No, it's fine. I'm enjoying this. The movie... Okay, no, I might keep going. The movie <laughs> is from 1949. 1949. The name, okay. 1949. Yeah. Pretty popular film. 1949. Mm. The character's name is Arthur Jarrett, but his friends call him Cody. It's Arthur Cody Jarrett. 1949. Very well-known quote. <laughs> right. Arthur Cody Jarrett. Yep. And I'm going to tell you, yeah. uh, uh, the person who uh, said it, the actor, yeah. known as a tough guy, but also a bit of a hoofer. Was a tough guy, but a bit of a hoofer, did you say? Bit of a hoofer. Oh, so it's Jimmy Cagney, and I guess it's top of the world, Ma. There you go. Made it, Ma. Top of the world. <laughs> All right. This is going to be super hard. Thank you for that. That was Those were good clues that uh, brought me to... Yeah. Uh, that movie. What was that movie called again? 
That that movie. Oh, let me tell you exactly what that movie was. <laughs> Sorry, passed it. That movie was called White Heat. White Heat. That's right. I knew it had heat. White in Heat. It. Okay, I'm going to go even farther back then. Okay. 1933. Dave, the year is 1933. Mm. People don't know there's going to be a depression. They don't know. They no, they. Yeah. Yes, they do. It's 29 was the beginning of the depression. They're recovering from the depression. They need some entertainment. <laughs> yes, so we go to this movie. Yep. And this character is Lady Lou. Lady Lou, so Mae West. Yeah, and what is the quote, Dave? Come up and see me sometime. Yeah, why don't you come up and see me uh, sometime? Do you know who she says that line to? No, I do not. Who does I believe that line is spoken to Cary Grant in that movie. Oh, very, very nice. He was in a Mae West movie, and I think that he was the the uh, invite in the the invitee. I know the invited, uh, whatever. Very good. You know what I mean? Okay, let me get, let me uh, say this. Uh, how about uh, Martin Brody? Martin Brody. Uh, the movie. Uh, oh, okay. We're, we're going to need a bigger boat. Very good. I, of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. I do love that. Okay. That's an ad lib line as well. Oh well, this is also a line that you know. This is this is an end line here. Okay. Of okay. A movie. Okay. Movie is from 1959. Okay. And the character's name is Osgood Fielding the Third. Okay. Oh, is this uh, from um, uh, Something Like It Hot? Yes, sir, it is. What is the quote, sir? I guess nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's perfect, absolutely. <laughs> Apparently, though, you are, because bam. Could be. Could be. Could be. Could be better. Well, I've got a couple. Okay. Uh, and. Uh, All right, here's a tough one. Here's a bit of a tough one, but also not a tough one. Okay. Okay. The year is 1968. 68, okay. 1968. A bit of a sci-fi movie. Okay. Let's go with that. Oh, okay. So you you did it. She went and did it. You damn, whatever it was. Oh, very Or is this very Damn close. Dirty Apes one? Uh, get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. What is the character's name, Dave? Um, I have no idea. George Taylor. George? How would I remember that? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> okay. Here's, the year is... Yeah. 1968. Again. I'm not going to give you more easy clues, you know, because you're obviously getting this. <laughs> okay. The character's name is yeah. Dave Bowman. Dave Bowman. Okay. So this is um, this is uh, from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. Oh, you're getting cocky now. Listen to this. <laughs> this <is all> <laughs> well, and uh, what would the quote be from him? He's got the quote. Yeah. Do you think you think Hal would have the quote? You would think it was, but he is speaking to him. So what does he say to her? He says, um, "Let me in." <laughs> Close. Open the pod bay doors. Open the pod bay doors. That's what it is. All right. Now this <laughs> is going to be <laughs> the final one, Dave. This is the final one. Oh, uh, oh that's too all, bad. This is all the money. Okay, nineteen thirty-three. Nineteen thirty-three again. All right, nineteen thirty-three. Nineteen thirty-three. Yep. I remember it well. Just kidding. Forgetting about the depression and then remembering it again. <laughs> they drank a bit too much. And then the next morning they remembered yeah. it was a great depression. That's what yeah. happened. Okay. And the person, again, this is the last line in the movie. Okay. There we go. Okay. Um, it is, the character's name is Carl Denham. Hmm. Carl Denham. Okay. Maybe this will help you. Played by Robert Armstrong. Hmm. No. Final line in a very popular movie from 1933. Carl Denham, mm -hmm. played by Robert Armstrong. That's the actor's name. Yes. Carl Denham. One more clue, please. Sure. Um, the, the main character in this movie uh, recently appeared in a movie from this year. 
Okay. Oh. I'll say the Titan character appeared in a movie from this year. Huh. Was Very that? recently. Yeah, yeah. Was that so? The so this a character from this movie appeared in the title character. The title character appeared uh, in a movie this year. Yes. And remember, this movie is from 1933. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good clues, though. They're damn good clues. They're good clues. Okay. I'm just not. I'm just not getting. I'm not clue. I'm not cluing in to this these clues. This movie has been remade at least twice. At least twice, as in in this kind of form, and then the character has been in other movies. Hmm. Is this? I don't know. I I can't. This I can't. line. I will say this line. Okay. Can I? Can said. I? Can I say? Sorry. Oh no. So it's. Oh, it's said by Carl Denham. Carl Denham, who was also played by Jack Black at one point. Okay. I'm 1933. King Kong. Okay. Right, so what was the final line? Uh, beauty killed the beast. Oh no, it wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. Ugh. And someone goes, hey, I think it was the airplanes. <laughs> but it's full of bullet holes. And also he fell, also the fall killed him. It's like, But it was really beauty that killed him. Yeah. It's like, really? Yes. Yeah. He died of syphilis. <laughs> oh my God. Is that why he's covered that's in you, butter? Well, that's what he... <laughs> So he acted so so uh, out of character. That's the mistake is that they did do that butter thing. Let's just say, <laughs> and you don't want to have literal butter fingers when you're climbing the Empire State Building. <laughs> that was that was a strategic error on the part of Mister Kong. There you go. Who, as we all know, is the aristocrat of apes. <laughs> okay, here's here's okay. Let me let me throw you this one. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to ask for something very specific. Which okay. is kind of a, it almost seems like a jerk move to me. Okay. Well, you're, you're the doing year it. is 1945. Okay. The movie is The Naughty 90. Okay, with James the Cagney. The character is Dexter. Okay. The character is played by Bud, Bud Abbott. Oh, okay. I'm going to ask you what yeah. the quote is. Yeah. Plus, please provide the punctuation. <laughs> Uh, okay, here's the quote. Ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> um, let me just think. I think, Dave, yeah. you're thinking of Luke Costello. <laughs> oh, Luke Costello, this is Bud Abbott. Um, yes, I was thinking of the wrong yeah, person. Yeah, hey, come on. <laughs> Knock it off. Uh, okay, so it's Bud Abbott. That's important. It's important that it's Bud Abbott. And so the quote is, who's on first, question mark. Tell me the punctuation mark. What was that, Dave? Sorry? I said, who's on first, uh, question mark. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't give that to you. It is who's on first, period. Oh, shoot. Because Bud is making a statement. That's true. He is. He is. Damn it. I'm sorry. You got That's me. For all the money, we're gonna have to put it all back. I should have. I should have we'll come back next time. I shouldn't have bet at all. I shouldn't have bet at all. I got cocky at the end there. Yeah. So so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that was all good fun. <laughs> it was all good fun till I lost all of my money. Yep. It was really a shame. It was a lot of money, by the way. That's okay. It was just Dogecoin. Is that how you say it? Thank you. Yeah. You're you're welcome. Is it based on a dog? Is it, is there a dog related thing? To- to it? No, I don't, I don't think it. so. I think it's, uh, I don't know what it's, I don't know where the words come from for it. I mean, the one nice thing about that is that you do get to know, you know, when they go like, it's not real money. Well, what's real money? Well, real money is this. And it's like, well, that's not. <laughs> You're like, that's not real money either. Yeah, it's all the honor system, man. Do you so, mean, do you mean this fair. thing we assume a, a value to is different than this other thing we assume a value to? I've got an incredibly nerdy question that relates almost back to our first episode. 
first episode um, of this show? Of this show, yeah. Who's your favorite dragon? Yes, it involves <laughs> Smaug. Okay. So Smaug, uh, they've recently kind of determined, I forget exactly what it was. That's but right. The amount, but the amount of gold that Smaug was on. Yeah. And they, and, they, and they related to like, you know, would he fit in with like the top 10 richest people on earth? Yeah. He would not. No. And I'm saying he. I don't know what sex Smaug is. I haven't seen his dick. I don't know. I don't know what a dragon's the genitalia is at he, all. He is referred to a he in the novel, so I'm. I, yeah, but that could. Just I will. Be, <laughs> it could be what. It could be like you know when you, it, I mean you only refer to him that way when there's uh, hobbits in the room and they're all dudes. So it could be like the French thing where like once the, there's one guy in the yeah. room, everyone turns masculine. It's yeah. the, it, I don't know how language works, and you know. That crazy. Well, world. that that's the problem with those books nowadays, right? Is there are just one big sausage party? Do you think if Smaug, um, so Smaug dies, let's say Smaug dies, he does. Oh God! Oh, yes, you know some people are going to try and watch it. You know the new first. I don't know. Don't, don't advise it. I don't advise it. Just read, okay, but once, read the book. Uh, when Smaug passes, yes, his uh, his gold is now available. Like I know it melted in at least in the movie. Um, but it's still gold. <laughs> still so, gold, yeah. It doesn't matter what right. form it's in. Right. Would yeah. then um, the value of gold in Hobbit world, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings land, yeah. would it now be worth nothing? Because, like, all of this gold literally floods the market. Yeah, yeah. yeah infinity gold is now available. So does it mean nothing? And does that send everything into economic chaos? Well... I would have to say no, because that money, let's say that that, that money is already as, assumed to have a value, right? So they're, they're trading in, unless they're trading in actual gold, and not just in like some sort of coinage that has a assumed value behind it, it that's like perhaps backed by a gold st- standard, let's say, right? Okay. So, you know, like, like for the longest time, up until like, what did America jump off the gold standard like in 72 or something like that. But anyway, for a long time, for a long time, the money that you had in your hand had a, an actual equivalent value in gold that was kept in reserves by by the country. That's right. So, so now, so in, in Hobbit world, you know, Smog is basically like, he's basically Fort Knox. He's just holding on to all this gold. So everyone's like, Everyone's like, well, does this money have real value? You're like, of course it has real value. It has, you know, it's worth this amount in gold, you know, and we and we know that that gold is around. It's just, we can't get to it right now because there's a dragon sitting on it. But, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really need it because we just have like this equivalent of gold in, in terms of our, our coins and our, and our bills or whatever we're using. So it's fine. So if that money floods back into the market, it's not really going to flood back into the market. It's just merely going to go back into circulation. And, you know, so then... You know the the money that's already been trading in, in lieu of that gold will just maybe it will become worthless, but the gold will not like become less more or less valuable. Well, this is something I don't quite understand. Now is uh, uh, okay. So they ranked in 2013. They ranked the uh, richest fictional creatures. Okay. Okay, and they're counting creatures as yep. well as yeah. So Smaug yep. comes in number two. Okay. Behind another animal. Okay. What is the other animal? Ah, back to quizzing you. <laughs> the other animal is... It's another animal. It is another animal. And that yes. animal is um, the white rabbit coin from Alice in Wonderland, who has gone up a phenomenal amount in value. 
Oh. In the last little while. That's interesting. It's not right, but. <laughs> Who is it? Who is this? It is uh, Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge McDuck? That doesn't make any sense, really. Yeah, they have estimated that his fortune yeah. comes to uh, $65.4 billion in gold coins. Where? Okay. But so, Smaug, yeah. uh, his his comes to fifty four point one uh, billion. <laughs> okay. So, so it's rough day for Smaug, but tremendous. Yeah, I mean, he really. Well, you know, here's the problem for for Smaug, is he rested on his laurels. Mm. You know, he was sleeping on all that gold. He wasn't like collecting more. If he had continued to amass gold, mm. he would definitely have pa- surpassed Scrooge McDuck, who, you know, for all his faults, let's admit it, was a go getter. You know, he didn't care. He'd go to the Andes and steal all the money from the Indians in the Andes. He'd go to some African country and steal all the gold from the natives of that African country. He'd go to Asia and steal all the money from the natives of that of that Asian nation. Like, he didn't care where he was getting the money from, as long as it was in his vault where he could swim with it. So A go-getter. Uh, now, I apologize for doing this because I've just done a top ten list. But I'm going <laughs> to take you through, let's do the top ten. So uh, we've established that it's uh, Scrooge McDuck, and they've now gone smell. I don't, I don't understand. Like, well, where do they get the idea that Scrooge McDuck has all these gold coins? Is that like based on what we see in the vault? Yeah, they've measured the various vaults that he has. Okay. Depth, oh, okay. And uh, estimated by that how much, like, what? Because they, because um, Scrooge yeah. has that uh, a measuring stick that shows you the depth. Ah, uh, that's his. right. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, they've laid it out pretty good. Laid it out pretty good. Um, what would be pretty? Are, what would be funny is if Scrooge McDuck had uh, well, Smoke had fifty-five million uh-huh. and five hundred thousand dollars in in gold, and then Scrooge McDuck had fifty-five million five hundred thousand and one cent, just because of his mm. lucky, his, or is it a lucky dime? A lucky dime, yeah. Okay, now, ten cents. I'm sorry. We're not taking into account. Yeah, is the idea that in both of these worlds, mm-hmm. gold has equivalent value. Because in a world where there's, I mean, I guess there's in magic world. in both worlds. Yeah. There's magic in both worlds. So magic, there's wizards yeah. in, in, in the Lord of the Rings world, and there's magic at the spell yeah. in Scrooge's world. So sure. there's magic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a magical kingdom. Let's admit that. Disney, Disney. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but they're assuming that gold is worth the same amount in both realities, where it might not be. It might not be. There might be more value to gold in one or the other. But then again, I'm assuming that, that the gold... In Scrooge's world, it's the same as the gold in our world. So I, I, I honestly don't know. Clearly, you can swim in the gold in Scrooge's world. Yeah. Whereas you cannot in ours without busting your skull. <laughs> yes. There's a more malleable gold in Okay. Scrooge's so the world. number three, uh, most uh, the richest yeah. uh, fictional character, um, this is a vampire. It's not Dracula. Okay. It's a, it's a recent vampire. Um, oh, I guess and, Ed, know, Edward Cullen, I guess? It is one of his family. It is uh, Carl Zyle Cullen. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, Carl who cares? Lally. So let's move on. <laughs> number, number four yeah. is a fictional character who recently passed away. A fictional character who recently passed away. In fact, we, both, we, were, we were there when we watched him pass away together. We were in the same room. We were in the same room. We were in the same room, uh, as was our friend Nina. He's also there. Are we saying that Thanos was like super wealthy? No, we're not saying Thanos. Oh, okay. No. Nope. Oh, oh, Tony Stark. Yes, sir. That is correct. Number four is Tony Stark. Hmm. Uh, number five. Yep. Is someone who would be quoted in probably the top ten of uh, of uh, most popular quotes of all time in movies. Okay. Uh, and uh, and and sadly, 
this person has been pushed aside recently by a marmalade-loving bear. Has been pushed aside. Okay. Yeah, but but their fortune, you know, a fictional fortune uh, remains number five on the. I guess it would be uh, uh, Kane, Mr. Kane. Charles Foster Kane. Charles Foster Kane. Charles Foster Dallas Kane. All right, number six. Well, this fella had a tough childhood. Okay. And we keep seeing it over and over. We get it. But we, we keep seeing it. Uh, it uh, we watched it again in an Oscar-winning movie, uh, or a movie that won an Oscar uh, for someone. Oh, um, okay. So we're we talking about uh, Bruce Wayne? Yes, sir. Bruce Wayne is number six. Number seven. Number seven. Going on to number seven, there's an advertisement for a product to hell with it. Number seven. <laughs> well, obviously, this is a rich fictional character. Okay. Ob- ob- this is obviously... Obviously. So who is it? <laughs> Obviously a rich character. Come on. Come on. Everything about them screams that they Oh, Richie Rich? <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm gonna argue that Richie Rich should be at the top of, of this list. hmm Because he is infinitely wealthy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he will he will like uh, uh, try to get a drink of water from a fountain <laughs> and dollar bills and coins will shoot out of it. it. But it's not even just that. It's just like he is as wealthy as, as any story needs him to be. There's like no set amount of wealth for him. Like, And yet no amount of wealth is enough no. to solve the problem. No, the only way you can solve it is with you know, uh, a friendship yeah, and, uh, yeah. and a, a good heart. Only way to solve it is, yeah, like again, be able to get go outside and play play baseball with your friends and not do violin lessons like your mom wants you to do. Do you know what it feels like? Here's my theory on Richie Rich, Dave. All right. Theories. Okay. This is my, Hope this it doesn't is involve my, butter. Yeah. It's, no, no, it doesn't. Cause he, he will never reach uh, sexual maturity. <laughs> you notice that they never do uh, what would Richie Rich be like as an adult? Never, never think to do yeah, it. It would make any sense. Be gross. It, would be, it would be disturbing. Yeah. Here's what I feel. Um, because a lot of people think Casper is a yeah. dead ch- child. Casper is not a dead child. He's not a dead child. Oh. I don't think that, but okay. Well, uh, according to the the movie Casper, he was a kid who got sick and then became a ghost. And so, and and according to the old cartoons, he hangs around a graveyard, which is his grave. And so, you know, there's that. So he was mm, back then. But the <laughs> cart- but the comic book character Casper, yeah. Yeah. Harvey comics say he's just an imp. He's like. Uh, hot stuff, the devil in the woods. He's like yep. uh, Wendy. She's a witch. Yep. And I feel, I feel that um, that Richie Rich yeah. is just there's a race yeah. of like just rich people like Reggie and made of money. <laughs> yes. I think they're just a race, like they're like elves, <laughs> you know, and they've got infinite money and they can't take that money and like leave where they live. They can't go past the woods yeah, yeah. or whatever. Uh, they only live in this little area and they've got their magic house yep. and no matter what they do, money appears out of everything. They're fictional, they're magical, but they are in no way affect the economy of the world. <laughs> they're not real people. Yeah. They're just magical beings yeah. exactly like everything else in the Harvey universe. Yeah, I could see that. Also, I wish that Wendy's thing was Wendy, the poor little witch girl. Well, she's got her act together. What's poor about her? I just like that. That's because it's, it's Richie Rich is the poor little rich boy. Yeah, but Richie Rich is like, you know. <laughs> he's not, though. He's no, like the he happiest. Though. He's the happiest 
kid in the world. Is he? He seems, I don't know. He's always trying to please Gloria. Well, that's like, that's a problem. But, I mean, that's Gloria. That's on Gloria, not on Richie that's Rich. That's Gloria's problem. She's fine. No, she no. She's she's encouraging She's encouraging this. But, unfortunately, he can't because he's this freaking rich imp. Yeah. Like, he can't, he can't turn it off. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. I don't think Wendy's ever had a boyfriend. Like, I think Wendy... Just like does her own shit and she's yeah. fine. Like she's, she's that's why she's she, the poor little witch girl. She's why she's she, poor. She like has, has all her shit together. Like yeah. that's what I go. I go Wendy. She's got her shit together. Yeah, that's what she's, I'd she's say. lonely. I don't think that. find me where she's lonely. Any story <laughs> where she's pining for someone. <laughs> Try it. Anyone? Hey, anyone out there? You're all uh, car- cartoon. Well, a lot of you. Cartoon fans and whatnot. Do you remember a story? Okay, wait a second. And don't go, don't do this. Don't go movies. Don't go movies. Okay? No, it can only be comics. That's the only thing this can. Only comics, only comics. Not even the cartoon show. Only comics. Only comics are canon in her for her. That's right, exactly. You find me one where Wendy is like, oh. All right, I'll read through my I'll read through my my cast. The Beatles and she wants to like Mary Paul McCartney, but you know she can't because she's a witch. <laughs> you, find, you find me that story. You're not going to find it. Uh, number eight uh, is uh, a guy that likes spanking. It's a guy who likes spanking. Yeah, that's one of the things, and and much much more. Oh, okay. So that's um, um, from uh, those books, Shades of Grey, or whatever it's called. Yeah, it's Christian Grey from uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, or Sir Spanks a lot. Um, <laughs> a whiter shade of gray. Right. Uh, this one you're you're not gonna be able to get. Uh, but like it's uh, it's one of the Game of Thrones characters. Mm. You know, I never watched the show, so it's yeah, it's, it's going it's, to be it's going to be Cerulus from from the the land of Baron Thor. Sure, that sounds about right. And for number ten, <laughs> yep. Uh, this is a character uh, I have written. Let's say that. I don't know if that helps you anyway. Okay. Yeah, so it's not it's not Casper. <laughs> so Mr. Burns, I guess. Yes, sir. That is correct. Mr. Burns, number ten. Huh. Number number ten. Yeah. So there we go. Oh, we all had fun. Number fifteen <laughs> is Mr. Monopoly. <laughs> oh, really? Is that his name, Mr. Yeah. Monopoly? Yeah. I'll give you this one. How about that? We'll just do fifteen for fun. Okay. Fifteen. Yeah. Is a character in one of the what's considered one of the great novels. But the nice thing is, it's pretty freaking short. Oh, uh, The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby. Boom. Couldn't be better. Good job, Dave. You've earned all the money back. <laughs> Yay. And I put it all in Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Douchecoin. I'm told that uh, Elon Musk uh, kind of tanked that on Saturday Night Live, and it's all gone. I'm sorry. Apologies. Well, Apologies, I mean, these things, these things go up and down, so... Yeah, they certainly do. The important do. thing to remember is that it's like a yo-yo on an escalator. <laughs> so it just goes up. Nope, it goes up and down while it goes yeah, up. No, it's always going up then. It looks yes. like it's going down. It looks like it's going down, but it's going up. I mean, that's the stock market, exactly. That's what, so market. it's always going up. The stock market is always going up? Mm-hmm. Oh, they should always invest in the stock market because it's always going up. Mm-hmm. That's right. But oh. at the same time, it, it yo-yos up and down. So... Yeah, but that's fine. It's so you have the sh- you have short term losses, but over over time you have long term gains. So oh, okay, that is the nature of the stock market. And just ask all those people the Great Depression; they will forget it for a brief period of time. <laughs> well, they were there for. I mean, yes, they were there for. Un- for one thing, they were there at an unfortunate time when people didn't understand how to regulate an economy. 
You know, it's like, so for instance, in 2008, the 2008 crash was much worse than the crash in 1929. Mm. In every way it was worse. The difference was, is that governments have a better understanding of how to ameliorate the effects of of, uh, economic crashes. Yeah, he's been through it before. Yeah, and then we have kind of a working uh, idea of how to to make make these things work. Unfortunately, lately we have been uh, the governments have been playing fast and loose with these with these rules. So, so yes, everyone, invest in gold. There you are. Be a uh, smog and curl up in your bed with with all your gold gold yeah, coins. Yeah, like you're uh, like you're a rich rich duck. But don't invest in gold. Head. Don't invest in gold stocks. Okay. Only physical gold. There you are. Because gold stocks can be uh, devalued by the government. Uh, I wanted to just briefly just bring this up because, uh, you know, it's my life and why don't I, why don't I talk about it? Uh, it's fine. It's not uh, one of those, oh, here comes a story. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, 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 it's uh, something that I wrote. I'll say this much. It's sure. not Sparks. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's not Sparks. Okay. But something that I wrote uh, got optioned a while ago, and it's not necessarily happening or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they wrote a pilot script for it. Uh-huh. So, like, for a TV thing, which is just something they do when they're trying to sell it. Yeah. And uh, and I, I got it today. Yeah. And it's one of the weirdest things in the world to read something <laughs> with characters that you've created. Yeah, yeah. That you know so well. Yeah. That you have not in any way had anything to do with. Yeah, yeah. And it was very similar to when my wife, uh, she got this pilot, a couple of pilot scripts for for why the last man yes and you know and so she'd be reading it and it's like oh this is your characters but it's not your characters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the, the way i would describe it and again i'm just about 10 pages in okay. but the way the way it really feels to me is it's like if you've ever seen the peter cushing doctor who movies mm-hmm. and say you're like a big doctor who fan yeah and then you watch that and it's like uh you know what's your name i'm doctor who and i built this tardis and no, you didn't. And no, you're not. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. Come on inside it. Let me show you around. And it's like, it's all, everything's wrong. This isn't what it is, but it is, but it's fine. <laughs> so that's what it kind of feels like reading it. It's a very, very strange thing. Like they've named the characters different things. Yeah, yeah. And there's things the characters are doing. They're like, well, they couldn't do that. Because, <laughs> well, they don't know that. So, oh, this is very weird. So It's so odd. Yeah, it's an, it's an odd feeling. That's kind of cool. I got to finish reading that later. It is cool uh, and weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe they'll uh, go in some directions that I never could have, and that's a good thing. But uh, but it's 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 a very very interesting feeling seeing something that you've worked on for quite a while, and someone else goes, "Ah, oh, I'll write one of those stories." Well, he's got a giant hat, and he really likes bacon. <laughs> so anyway, what he likes more than anything else is you know riding a giant tortoise in the sea. Okay. I, guess. I don't know. I wouldn't. I guess. Did she just look at the cover? <laughs> okay. Fair enough. All right. It's fine. It's fine. I wonder. It's if, fine. I wonder if someone like J.K. Rowling or Rowling, if she enjoys, or if she ever has like, just for the heck of it, like read through fan fiction, just to see like how fans, you know, have fun with I those guess, characters. I guess she. I guess she safely could now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wonder. That's so. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're never oh, safely told. couldn't. Once she once she finishes, so yeah, I don't think she'd want to do that while she's writing the series. But no, I but mean, once she, she was I, done, is she is she done 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 now, or is there more? Uh, you know, the the man who had the zoo in his pants is that still a thing? 
Are they still making more of those? I don't know. What is the man who had the zoo in his pants? That sounds more like uh, one of those books by that uh, Oliver Sacks, the doctor, the neuro- neurologist. The man who had his sack in his pants. <laughs> um, no, it was uh, like, uh, uh, hey, I've got a zoo in my briefcase. I'm going to go to New York in the oldie days. You know, that one. Uh, Dangerous Creatures. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Those those movies are terrible. Oh, well, you know, they're they're what they are. No, um, no, they they are. I mean, yes, you're right. They're what they are. They're terrible. Eh, they're a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I can't judge. I, they're so not for me that it's like I don't know. I, all, I, all I can all I can tell when I watch them is like wizards are jerks. <laughs> well, that's it. You're gonna murder it's not, one of your own yeah. because of like little reasons. Like, well, you're jerks. But then again, these are the these are the guys who in Harry Potter, you know, are the good guys. And yet people put people in prisons with dementors yeah, who can like yeah. eat their souls after they make them so depressed mm-hmm. that they are nothing but sorrow and sadness. They will eat their goddamn souls. Well, then you're not the good guys, wizards. They're not. That's, but that's, that's sort of the point that Rowling's making in that, with, that, with the dementors is that the Ministry of Magic is not good. No, they're not. And they're, Dumbledore, like, yeah, is, Dumbledore yeah. is opposed to the Dementors. So, Is there anything that's like a big, okay, series of books or movies or what mm-hmm. have you, mm-hmm. where there is a big organization that's like the Jedi or the Magic Council, okay. where it's not like just that, you know, but there's one bad one that yeah. we didn't know about. Yeah. But it's like, you know what, from the, from the ground up, they're... Pricks. Like, like, yeah. I know they're selling themselves as the good guys because we're sure. we're entering in this through the journey of someone who is discovering them for the first time. Yeah, yeah. So liking yeah. them. Yeah. But like, is there any series of books where it's like, you know what, that group that you want to be a part of, they actually they're really good. They're solidly good. That was a good group to join. Well huh. done, you. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think of one. Like uh, you're thinking like you're talking a fictional. Yeah, fictional. A fictional one. I'm not, no, I'm not talking about the Shriners. Yeah, I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you if you join oh, the Rotary, the Rotary Club's pretty good. I mean, they do yeah. a lot of uh, work around communities and you know, fence, mm-hmm. fence melt mending and litter cleanup. That's a pretty good good organization. Uh, you know, I think no, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I do think that like um, fictional organizations reflect. You know, humanity's inability to to like create to create something that's perfectly good just because you know it's just a reflection of of us, you know. And so it becomes like this place a place of you know status, privilege, greed, ambition. Oh, is there anything? How about the organization in in the Da Vinci Code? Are they good? I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I was thinking like to myself like. Well, I guess Shield. No, Shield wasn't. Shield no, no, was Hydra at it from yeah. from the get go. Yeah. But even more than that, even Shield on its own is like this giant paramilitary shadow yeah, organization. It's kind of sneaky. America saying, "Don't do that." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And he sees like all these gunships. You know, hey, look, we're building this big safety. That's not safe. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, like, uh, I mean, yeah, like even the Avengers is torn apart by by uh, you know. By disc discord within the within the group, like d- competing philosophies and stuff like that, you know. Though you know, there's I think okay. Oh boy, I'm gonna get nerdy here. You know, you have all these uh, uh, shows now, yeah. Which are which are the idea of like, hey man, what if Superman was bad? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. Like, yeah. okay, all right, you're doing that. That's fine. 
But it's basically because no one questions Superman. But the, the thing about the Avengers, which is good, is they were always arguing. And so when stuff got brought up, they'd fight about it. Mm. And it's like, yeah, so because they fought about it, they would maybe break up for a while over it. But then they'd get back together and they'd get back together stronger and they'd get back together because they'd work through the thing that was wrong. They'd find the flaw. They, you know, they they break apart if they couldn't, you know, completely agree with it. Then yeah. they come back together, and they, you know, but they question things mm. and they'd argue about things. Whereas, like in all these ones where, you know, it's evil Superman, it's just like, well, I can't say anything with Superman. He's the greatest. He's the greatest guy. He's fantastic. He's a fantastic guy. And it's like, no, you get like Tony Stark telling Captain America, who's clearly the greatest guy in the world. You're an idiot. You're a pain in the ass. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and Captain America saying to this guy who's like, you know, one of the best Americans, you know, who's like living capitalism. Oh, uh, you know, get out of here, you. And yeah, yeah. go and go invent a, a creature that will destroy a, a foreign country and lift it into the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. But, I can't. But, but to be fair, mm-hmm. he did it because he. All right. And boom, Dave. Yep. Hey, let me yep. say this much. Yep. Why did he do that? He did that because mm-hmm. he had a vision sure. where he saw what Thanos was going to do. Mm-hmm. He saw exactly what Thanos was going to sure. do. He saw those things coming out of the sky. He yep. saw Captain America with the broken shield. And he was right. He was right that there was an alien that was going to come and it was going to destroy the world unless he built basically a wall around the world somehow that was strong enough to uh, to repel this thing. So... Mm-hmm. You know, just throwing it out there. The road, the wrong. road, the road is paved with good intentions, of course. It was. That's 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 true. But he was <laughs> not wrong. You know, even though uh, you know things did not work out well with Ultron. Sure, sure. Though you know, we got a, we got the very nice uh, Scarlet Witch out of this. Now we're <laughs> all very happy. I don't know. I feel like that's sort of like a nuclear metaphor. You know, the Ultron. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was wrong to do it, but his motivations were correct. Yeah, his, I mean, you know, he had... He wasn't paranoid. He was actually right. Exactly. <laughs> Everything that he thought was going to happen... Just because just you're right, right doesn't mean you're not paranoid. No? Is that correct? Yes. I, I've heard the... It doesn't, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> but, but I think, like, if you're actually completely right, yeah. you were not paranoid. Because paranoid means over the top like, yeah. ex- like sure. excessively yeah. cautious and if you're completely but you could still, right you could be that way and still exactly be right. you could be that way and still be right though you know no no but you okay but paranoid <laughs> yeah you have to be too too cautious to be paranoid whereas if you're exactly the right amount of cautious that is not paranoid that's just correct mm. and he was correct All right he just did it in the wrong way because he had a robot that was James Spader, and that's a mistake. <laughs> that was a mistake. He was a 1980s villain in he, all the movies. He should have, should have. When he, as soon as he heard, do you say 1980s villain? Yeah, 19. Uh, uh, Bre- oh, wait a second. Uh, yeah, he's a bad guy in the 80s, like John Hughes movies. James Spader? Yeah. He didn't he's start acting until like Sex Lies and Videotape. No, Dave, that's completely wrong. James Spader? Yeah, that's completely wrong. No, you're you're way off. <laughs> when did he start acting? Well, he's in he's in John Hughes movies. Uh, James Spader is in yeah, John. Yeah, nineteen eighty one. He started acting. He was in Pretty in Pink. He was in Mannequin. He was in Baby Boom. He was in Less Than Zero. He was in Wall Street. Really? He was in uh, he was in Jack's Back. He was a star oh. of Jack's Back, and that was all before Sex Lies and Videotape yeah. in nineteen eighty nine. I don't even remember him being in anything until that movie. Did you ever see Pretty in Pink? No. He's like the bad jerk in Pretty. In oh, Pink. Okay. 
Huh. Yeah, and less than zero is a pretty good rule. That's him and Robert Downey Jr. together. That's why it's kind of cool that they were in, in that movie together. Okay. The, the second Avengers movie was like, oh, yeah, they're both from less than zero. And yeah, bad guy in Wall Street for sure. Not, I've not seen that either. Yep. Hmm. Well, there you go. I didn't now, realize that. Fair, in Endless Love, he is credited as Jimmy Spader. So <laughs> that's, that's where I was confused. Once again, I've not seen Endless okay, Love. Either. I understand. But yeah, he's also in Mannequin. I think he's the bad guy in Mannequin. I've not seen Mannequin. Andrew McCarthy is in that movie? Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall. Canadian, Canadian Kim Cattrall. Canadian. Sex yeah. in the City dropout, Kim Cattrall. Oh, who can blame her? No, no one can blame her. I think she saw her. I think she saw the the uh, finished Sex and the City two and said, "I will never be a part of this again." Okay, well now I've got to ask you something because this opens a door that I then I've got to I've got to pursue, and I'm, I apologize. Okay, but uh, but but here we go. Uh, so uh, did you? Uh, I got to say, like, how many John Hughes movies have you seen? Have you seen like Sixteen Candles? <laughs> Is that with? Um... Was that the one with Long Duck, whatever his name is? Yeah, that's uh, Molly Ringwald and uh, and Andrew um, uh, Mike Anthony Michael Hall. I think, but so, yeah, I'm trying to think who was the one with Long Duck Dawn. I think he's. In, I think he is in that one. I think I have. Yeah. I think I've seen that one. All right. Have you seen Weird Science? No. Breakfast Club. Yes, it's terrible. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Awful. Breakfast Club is not. It's not terrible, but okay. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Another awful film. Yes, I've seen it. Oh my God, you're so wrong about both those two. Uh, pretty and pretty in pink. No. Some kind of wonderful. Nope. All right. So most of the John Hughes '80s coming of age films you gave a miss to. Yes, I was not interested. Okay, very good. Uh, did you see the <laughs> Vacation movies? I saw the. I saw. Yeah, I've. Well, I've saw the. I've seen them. Like I never saw them at the time. I have. I have watched them since then. All right. Uh, then, uh, then all I got to ask is, uh, is uh, Home Alone. Have you seen Home Alone? Once again, I did not see the time, but I've watched it since then. Okay, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. Nope. Okay, uh, Baby's Day Out. Nope. All right. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, we saw it together. And it was good. It was okay. It's got a good. Oh one, my God. It's got one great scene in it. It's got a. It's got a couple. Oh, uh, are you okay? Wait. Are you counting? Uh, are you going with it's not pillows, or are you going him turning into the devil? My favorite part of that scene, I just like the fact that that guy's yelling, you're going the wrong way. And then he's like, how does he know which way we're going? Okay, very good. That's just great. But yeah, that's yeah, that movie's pretty good. I mean, it's got two, two really good actors in it. Yeah, this is, okay. So basically, the thing about John Hughes, whether or not you like John Hughes or not, mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine if you don't like John Hughes, but this is where you're going to get, you're getting Molly Ringwald, you're getting Matthew Broderick, you're getting <laughs> Anthony Hall, you're getting Macaulay Culkin, you're getting Michael Keaton, okay. you know, with the Mr. Mom. You're getting uh, you know, Bill Paxton kind of breakout star from there. You're Matthew Broderick's, uh, you know. You're getting and you're getting your Brat Pack. You're getting just your general Brat Pack. So you know there was a he did have a big influence. Yeah, I missed I missed a lot of that kind of Brat Packy stuff like Saint, Saint Elmo's Fire and all those sort of movies. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know if he counts James interested. Spader as the. I don't think he was in the Brat Pack. I think he like uh, Robert Downey Jr. was you know in his own separate kind of Rob Lowe and yeah. Yeah, those hot and sexy guys. He he was in I think like your Sean Penns, your Kiefer Sutherlands. Mm. He was uh, your, your your Joan Cusacks, your John Cusacks. Yeah, you know he was in that he was in that group. See, John see Sean, Sean Penn was in my favorite movie of that time period. Bad Boys. Bad Boys. Yeah, it's a great movie. Now, what did he get beat up with? Was it batteries or soap? I think it was batteries. Yeah, batteries in a pillowcase. Not very good. Ouch. 
I always get confused whether it was a, a pillowcase full of batteries or a pillowcase full of soap. Oh. I think soap is from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Ah. Okay, very good. It's batteries in uh, Bad Boys. All right. Well, this has been getting to know Dave. <laughs> bad, bad Boys is great. Warriors is great. Yeah, those are... Those are my those are my uh, teenage I movies. I, I haven't seen Warriors. Yet. <laughs> I know. I just avoided like all all that's all. I think my problem with uh, like Pretty in Pink and stuff like that was that they were they were taking songs from bands that I liked and I I resented that. Like I, resen- oh, well, I resented uh, the, the psychedelic furs being co opted into Hollywood. But that's, isn't that just good exposure for them? And not people sure, I guess them? I guess this didn't didn't sit well with me, man. Okay. There we, there we are. Sellouts. Boo. Oh. The, the man. Oh, What's that, sorry? Remember when being a sellout was a bad thing? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't I don't think that was a right attitude, but that definitely was, like, my, my feelings with that stuff. Yeah. That I, I have played a bit of the Warriors video game, but I have not seen the movie. <laughs> it's a really good movie. It's really fun. Okay. Then I'll, uh, then I'll see it. Yeah, it's really fun. Like, it's just really well done. It's, uh, Walter Hill, who did 48 Hours and... Just another good movie. From my, I, I have from seen my youth. This is a weird thing to me. It's like I feel like if it was the '80s mm-hmm. and I could get into the movie, like I was too young yeah. to get into a lot of movies. But like if I could get into it, I would have seen almost every movie that wasn't a horror movie. Yeah. So, or like just a romantic. <laughs> Didn't care for that much either. Yeah. Um, or overtly movie movie. Uh, not not something I want to see in a, a matinee. A bunch of people and a bunch of weirdos, um, but yeah, anything else I'd, I'd see? Yeah, they don't really make. Uh, you don't really see that many kind of romance movies of of that sort. Like, like nowadays, the romantic comedy I think is the is the is the currency of of like the romance movie. Mm. I feel like the kind of just straight romance, you know, where it's just like serious. There's no joking around. There's no like. There's no well, there, funny sidekick. It's just pure. There always seemed to be a disease, and that was <laughs> terms of endearment sort of thing. Or a love story, or mm. you know, dying young, or yeah. yeah. This is, I mean, dying young it really kind of sells it up front. <laughs> it sure um, does. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was always like that. How do you end your romantic movie in a way that is impactful? It's like, mm-hmm. well, it's a perfect romance as long as he dies. Yeah. Or you know, she dies. Not ideal because you know she might be the reason that you're here. To, that she came to the movie, so it's better the guy dies, and and then it's a perfect romance, and like you didn't yeah. have to break up or you know get old, so it's fine. It is, like, I don't like this theme. <laughs> I think yeah, death is a good is a good uh, catalyst in a in a movie. So you you know you need to like finish the movie. You just you just have like that that sort of that sort of drama really pushes the. Yeah, and Love Story did so well. Mm-hmm. You know, they just try to keep going to that well. <laughs> when you think, well, I think the movie's from like 71 or something, right? So, Is that what it's from? Yeah, it's pretty, quite old, yeah. Okay, all right. Ellie McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. And uh, James Spader, yeah, from whatever. Because <laughs> that's before What's Up Doc, I'm pretty sure. I think Ryan O'Neill was writing the the popularity of, of uh, Love Story when he... Yeah, 1970 was what it's from. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, hey, Dave, mm-hmm. what's the sequel to Love Story? Yeah, um, No Country starring, for Old Men. Starring, no, uh, starring Ryan O'Neill and Candace Bergen. Well, I don't know. It was uh, Oliver's story. Oliver's story. Yeah, because uh, please, sir, can I have some more um, tragic love? <laughs> <laughs> what? <clears throat> Excuse me. More tragic love. 
Um, you know, I think we should uh, insert the theme song in. Oh, oh no. <laughs> What's wrong? Yeah, if we don't use it, we can't write it off. We can't write it off. All right, let's make this theme song. Yeah, let's do the theme song now, and then we'll come back. Right, and hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. I'm tired. Hi, I'm in. <laughs> How's it going? Wait, we still get paid like it's a regular show, though, even though we just did all intro, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the actual show yeah. now. Oh, this okay. is the official show. All that stuff before is, 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 a, is, you know, I'll probably erase it and get rid of it. Okay. Well, then now's a good time to do just a series of plugs. Sure. Um, as, as I, uh, you know what? Hey, look, Dave, why don't you quickly, uh, no, quickly. Take your time. Uh, you do yet another uh, podcast aside from this one. I do. Uh, that's, that's a it's a damn delight. Why, why don't you tell the nice uh, people about it? And I'll say that to you, like your ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> Hey, Dave, tell the nice people about your show. Well, clack, 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 my mouth. Yes, I do another podcast here as part of the Sneaky Dragon umbrella of shows, and that is the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party, which I do with my daughter, Mary. And Mary and I sit and talk about music together. We play songs, and we talk about them. We talk about the history of bands, or we just talk about whatever occurs to us in the middle of the episode to, to yak about. And, you know, we have a lot of fun, tell jokes, and we play really good music and have lots of fun with um, documentaries and, you know, this music, top five songs, things like that. And, you know, it's time to jump on the train now because the it's it's left the station, but you might as well get on it, even though it's already left. And, <laughs> and while you're at it, close the barn door because all the horses have gone. And, yeah, hop on the Sneaky Dragon train. Because we're just about to pull into the station, and it's, it's kind of getting near the end of the the run of the shows. So, I, I don't I don't like all these uh, metaphors. <laughs> hop on the get hobo style. Hop on that train. Um, you can also hop on the Sparks train. Dave and I do a, <clears throat> a series of uh, kids books together yes. uh, called Sparks. There's Sparks. There's Sparks Double Dog Dare, and the upcoming next year, Sparks Future Perfect. Uh, and we have uh, just have seen the. Well, I have just seen the the cover, mm-hmm. and uh, mwah, looks so so good. Yes, looks um, very good. We do it with our friend Nina Matsumoto, who, as you heard earlier, watched us watch Tony Stark die. Uh, <laughs> she, she drew it, I wrote it, uh, Dave colored it, and uh, two of the three books are currently in bookstores. So uh, check those out if you get a chance, and uh, support your local uh, bookstores. Also, if you uh, and like, support your local libraries. There you go. Uh, and uh, we get paid either way. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> speaking of graphic novels, which it kind of is, it is. Um, I also have two graphic novels out uh, called Exorcisters, Volume One and Volume Two, collecting uh, an Image Comics series I did with Giselle Legacy. Number one is called uh, Damned If You Don't, and uh, number two is called Kick at the Darkness. They are about a pair of sisters who will help you get out of hell if you end up in hell. Uh, and are they really sisters? No, they're not. What's the twist? Why don't you read and find out? <laughs> Again, available at your local library and bookstores. So uh, check those out if you'd like. I also have a comic strip that I do every day with my wife, Pia Guerra, on uh, Go Comics. Uh, so you can check that out. It is called Mannequin on the Moon. So there we go. That's what I got going on right now. There. We uh, did all our plugs at the very beginning of the show. <laughs> Good. Good. Get it out of the way. And you know how that. we always begin the show uh, with you, uh, you know, uh, uh, telling us about vampires? Did you want to do that? 
Oh, sure. Right now? Well, I don't know. We're, we are technically uh, about an hour and a half into this show. Oh, okay. So it feels like yeah. this might be about the time. Oh, it seems kind of seems kind of strange to do it right at the beginning of the show, but okay. It does feel weird to do it at the beginning of the show, though I think this will be a shorter show than normal because of all the intro that we've done already. <laughs> and if it's not, I will die. <laughs> um, I was just going to tell you, uh, I, I was a guest on a podcast on the weekend as well. Oh, another uh, podcast. More. Well, the podcast is is called... It's the James Spader podcast. That's exactly right. So, so James Spader's career, film by film, not missing one of them. Don't be silly. This 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 that show was is called uh, Where's the Butter? <laughs> I can't believe it's not Spader. <laughs> I can't believe. Um, you know what? These are things that I should know before I talk about them. Okay. But but um yeah. So let me just say, let me just look down here. Uh, in this in this sure, uh, email chain, because so it's called the the podcast was called that's why they were quality. <laughs> okay. Or as they say in the show, that's why they were qu- quality. No qual- quality quality. It seems like there's a lot of letters missing from when they're speaking. Yeah, quantity is what qual- I call it. Quality. Anyway, it's, that's what. <clears throat> yeah, I was listening. They did a. I was listening to their show. They sometimes will do ones where they're like big fans of things, and sometimes they do ones where they're critical of things. And so I gave a listen to the podcast, and they were being critical of 40-Year-Old Virgin. So, of course, I was like all over that, and I listened to that episode. But my fear upon hearing the episode was that I would not be able to understand what they were saying. One person is from London, and he has an accent where you say things like, anything. Right. You know, do you have anything? And then you're... You're like, uh, and then uh, the other person was from Liverpool. Okay. So we had, so two, two different accents were going on. And when they were talking to each other, they spoke quite quickly. And I, and, and I was a little worried that I was going to be a little bit at a loss, but actually when we did the show together, they're, they're a really nice people, but also, uh, I could understand everything. So that made oh, me I thought you feel better. Say, they were nice enough to drop the accent. They were nice enough to speak. I said, could you do a fake Canadian accent the whole show? And oh, they geez, were, there, eh? You yeah, know what right. I don't much care for is that Jed Apatow's later work, eh? <laughs> Oh, some friggin' le- why are you letting her talk so much? <laughs> Take it back a notch, boy. Oh, boy, just said on one joke, eh? Oh, geez, she's going on. And is this the deleted scenes? Did I hit the wrong button on my DVD? <laughs> oh my god, so long. Oh. Yeah, so they had they had me come on and um, talk about the Beatles. Ah. And I I filled a lot of airtime with my professional blather. But you know what's funny? What's really funny is is um because I have this weird my mind partly I think it's partly that I'm just tired right now. Like you know I've just uh-huh. been been working, been doing the coloring, been working, you know, so I just, my sleep pattern's have been a bit off. And so that sort of affected my memory to a degree. But also, I just have a terrible memory for, like, uh, lyrics, for one thing. Like, I can't even remember lyrics exactly. Mm. Or apparently movie quotes very well. <laughs> but also song titles. Or James Spader. Or James Spader, yeah. Or song titles. Like, I have mm. trouble with song titles as well. So, like, <laughs> during the show, I was trying to remember the the name of the Beatles song, She's a Woman, which I, I called Just a Woman. And I was like, oh. And after it was over, and I think I also misremembered what songs, it, not that it matters. It's just, you just feel like a dummy, though, when you make these these little mistakes when you're talking. Because, you know, like, unlike in 2014, when I had 
we were doing the show and I was doing all the research and all this, these facts were like at my fingertips, you know, seven years later, it's, you know, it sort of receded. And also to be honest, I have been like, I mean, I still listen to all the Beatles music, but I really haven't read about them for quite a while. Like I just, I just kind of like burn myself out on, on reading and stuff like that. I still have that um, Mark Lewis on book, that big, thick first volume of uh, tune in. I've kind of, I read like, the first part of it, and then I, I kind of, I kind of fell off of it, and have not remounted it since then. So yeah, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It'll, it'll, it'll all come back again. But I think I just kind of burned myself out doing uh, sure. the Beatles, and uh, just wanted to take a break from it. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to talk about though. So I just, they'd be like, "Well, what do you think of such and such?" Then I'd be like, "Blah, blah, blah, blah." <laughs> They're probably like, "Oh, I wish I could say a word or two, but not Dave, not with Dave there." Blah, blah, blah. And Dave brought his own mic, so he sounds perfect. <laughs> so this guy so great. Wow, blah, that's good. blah. Well, the Beatles, blah blah. But anyway, I'll, I will yeah, let I will let everyone know. Blah blah blah. Blah 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 blah. Blah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was. Uh, it was good though, and I, I will let everyone know when that when that podcast comes out. Probably two weeks after it drops, judging by my my my. Uh, Current promotional abilities. Don't rely on me to remote things. Anywho, um, I think it's time for a little bit of Dork Shadows. Yeah, because uh, if Dave's going to uh, promote something, it'll be something from the early, from the early 70s. <laughs> the late 60s, early 70s, that's right. Yeah. This is... I think we're, we're into the 70s now, right? No, I think we're still in the 60s, judging... Oh, are we still in the 60s? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, still a ways to go. My gosh, this was a weekly show, so there's a lot of yeah. episodes. I think now, I'm... those are those people there who uh, are listening for the very first time or do not know what this is. This is a soap opera with a twist in that one of the characters is a vampire. One of the characters is a witch. One of the characters is a Frankenstein's creature. One of the characters is a a demon, the devil himself. I don't know. Oh, really? Okay, all right. Well, he seems to have a lot of power in Nicholas Blair. And his name others, is Nick, old Nick. Yeah, there have been other soap operas uh, with uh, the devil. Uh, mm. and, and, yeah. Okay. There was, uh, of course, we've talked about Passions. We've talked about all those ones. Yeah. Uh, but I think, like, Edge of Night had a thing. Oh, my God. Well, Edge there, was of... also, there was also a soap opera called Satan Place. <laughs> Satan Place. Yeah. I guess inspired by Rosemary's Baby or something? I, I don't know, but there's, like, Wow. I don't know. It was one of the first things that came up. <laughs> yeah, uh, from 1988, Satan Place, a soap opera from hell. Uh, okay, well, whatever. I was I was following someone in, in like an SUV on the weekend. I was I went over and visited my mom for Mother's Day, mm-hmm. and then I was driving home and I was following this person in a an SUV and and it had he had like the little fish thing. Right on the you know the stupid annoying little fish thing on the back of but it said inside it said Satan. And then they had like some like, I guess they were satanic symbol stickers on the okay. back of his vehicle. Okay. And I thought I thought I guess that's a reaction, and it's a fair fair enough reaction to like, you know, idiots who put all the fish and stuff all over the car. But it's just to me as obnoxious as having like the little fish symbol and. It's also know, one praise one hundred and five. Like, it's funny. It's funny for like I don't know how long. <laughs> how long is it funny for like even to you like the person who put it up there is like ah, ah, ah. Yeah. and then every day you look at it and just like oh boy, I should get these off do You're I want to get to but, a fight every day don't you think okay I, I mean maybe I'm wrong I just assume this is sincere 
Yeah. Not not like a put on that he really is like or she really oh, is a a Satanist. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't like that he ripped off the symbol then. <laughs> ripped off what symbol? The fish symbol, the Christian fish symbol. Is but, that what you're saying? But yeah, but people that do he, that with like Darwin and stuff like that too. Yeah, and I mean it's it's ripe it's ripe for legs on it. It's it's kind of cute gag, I suppose. Yeah, I like the no. yeah. That's my favorite variant is the is the little feet on it. Yeah, it's cute because it reminds me of the Partridge Family. <laughs> Come on, yeah, it it's a. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't like. I don't care. But like, like I have no. Like, I'm not married to the fish symbol. I, I don't even. I don't really care about that. But I think. Uh, I don't know. I just. I would. Just, I. I hope. I hope it's not like some ironic thing. That seems. Yeah, I agree with you. Then, like that just seems like. Like I. I don't know. Anytime I, you put a joke on, like, hey, look. I just a funny bumper sticker yeah. is. Uh, oh boy! I mean, that stops being funny. Yeah. Like, four days in. And you still got it stuck to your bumper. <laughs> I just wish that I could have like passed them so they would see my little Kelvin peeing on the Satan fish thing oh, I have in the, nice. my back window. Good, good. That would have been good. Yeah. That would have been good. Be yeah, like, <laughs> yeah that'll, that'll learn them. <laughs> and then Bill Watterson's passing by going, take that down. <laughs> that's right. Hey, that's... I didn't endorse that. <laughs> that's, that's not, that's, I didn't trademark it, but it's, it's mine. Uh, yeah, boo-boo. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's weird. And and by the way, not like they didn't drive satanically. So they weren't on like Highway Six Six Six. I was just, you know, it's just it weird to me. Song Route Six Six Six. Someone has done that. Obviously, someone must have. I, I hope so. No way, that's not a thing. It's a movie. I'm sure it's a movie. I'm gonna look it up. It's a, you know what? It's a direct to DVD movie. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. Talk about what you want. This is your guess. I was just gonna say. It's just a weird fact of life that the the slowest drivers you'll drive behind often have the National Hot Rod Association symbol in their back window. Ah. And you're like, so on the weekend, you go drag racing in your car. But on the weekdays, you drive like the oldest man in the world wearing the oldest hat in the world. Like, I don't understand. And also, by the way, I just want to point out that if you're old, you should not be driving anywhere at seven in the morning. Anywhere. I don't care who you are, what you're doing. Get the right. fuck off the road. There you go. That's my public public service message. Get the fuck off the road. Yeah, if you're uh, retired, yeah, enjoy your retirement. Sleep in, eat late, and let people who have to go to work get to work. Uh, if you want to see Route Six Six Six, yes, indeed, it is direct to DVD movie, yeah. and uh, you can see again. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is the star. Laurie Petty is the co-star. Stephen Williams, you might remember him as the chief. On um, uh, 21 Jump Street. The chief on 21? Stephen yeah. Williams. Yes, sir. For some reason, that makes uh, me think of... Is it a different Stephen that's the, the, the villain in... Um, is it... Uh, what's that movie with Michael J. Fox? Is it Beverly Hills? No, not Beverly Hills. The one where he's like... Uh, Hollywood... Uh, Doc Hollywood? No, no, no. He's like an actor who go, it like goes with James Wood or James Woods, I think. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a ride on ride along, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know that yeah. movie? It's a good movie, but then there's like the bad guy in that movie is like so effective, but it's oh. like Stephen something. He's, oh. he's in a lot of Michael Mann things, I believe. Okay. I could be yeah, wrong. I see, I see what you're saying. You're, you're telling me that. Uh, so that would be a movie. All right, let's find out what that it, movie was. It's a. So it, uh, it's it the hard way. The hard way. That's the one. That's that, what it was. That's okay, a fun movie. Way. I mean, I, I saw it once. So obviously, Stephen Lang is who you're Stephen thinking. Stephen Lang. That's who I was thinking about. He's he's great in that. He was also From in that movie. That movie, what's the movie called? Like, it's like, shh, no, it's not called shh, it's, but it's called, like, Be Quiet or... Oh, Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe, yes. Oh, that, he's really good in that movie. That's a fun movie. 
also in Public Enemies, uh, Tombstone, and uh, and uh, Gettysburg. Yeah, but he's also in. Isn't he like in? Um, isn't he also in in Manhunter? Yeah, I, that was one of the first things I mentioned. Yeah, oh, I'm Man sorry, Hunter I missed well. that. I was thinking about yeah. I was thinking about him in a. You were thinking about Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manhunter. Yeah, he's he's the journalist who goes down the ramp on fire. Yeah. In the yeah, wheelchair. That be I. I always wanted to see in that movie. It's like you know, and the next thing you see, he's just like uh, typing up his story in the newsroom, <laughs> just charred, just completely charred, basically a skeleton. He's just tapping it out. And he's like, oh, "You should go home. I good. got a story to get out." That's good. He's like, oh, do you want some water? Yes. Do I look like I don't want water? Get me some water. I think he also played a reporter on Crime Story, the Michael Mann produced um, TV show. That very well could be. Anyway, Stephen yeah. Lang. Let's remember Stephen Lang. Also remember what the hard way, the movie theme song. Um, what is that? Mama said, "Knock you out." The LL Cool J song. Yeah. Oh, by the way, he was in Crime Story. You're absolutely correct. Thank you. David Abrams. He played Attorney David Abrams. Oh, I was an attorney. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. With uh, with that actor who was oh, what was his name? Mustache guy. He's also in uh, that movie with uh, Robert De Niro and. Uh, Look, man, I can't do this forever. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I can't. Uh, look, I found this guy. I found the last guy. Mustache guy. You know, he's and in. This is where I throw my hands out. What's that? Look. Okay, there, there's a movie. So there's a movie with yeah. Robert De Niro. Yes. And Charles Grodin. Okay. And yeah. what? The one guy's a bounty hunter, and the other guy's an accountant on the run. Midnight run. Midnight run, exactly. Yep. And then there's the actor who's the gangster, uh-huh. who is trying to kill Charles, Charles Grodin. Okay. And he's an actor who has a mustache. Yeah. See, see, that helps me more than mustache. <laughs> well, you didn't let me finish. That's where I started. I was going to carry on with more definitive details. Uh-huh. But if you had got his name from Mustache Guy, that would have been like one of the greatest catches of all time. I know it's not Yafit Koto. It is not Yafit Koto. Is it John Ashton? No. It's not Dennis Farina. That's I the guy. That. There you go, Dennis Farina. What do you think of Dennis Farina? There's so many more better clues for Dennis Farina. <laughs> what do you mean? He's in Midnight Run. That's like a great movie. Oh, my God. How could you forget? Say he hosted Unsolved Mysteries. He what, sorry? He did what? Hosted Unsolved Mysteries. He oh, was I a didn't... regular on Law and Order. I didn't know that. I don't, I don't yeah. watch Law and Order. Get Shorty. Oh, yeah. He's really, good. he's really good in Get Shorty as well. You're right. forgot about that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Dennis Farina. He's also in Crime Story. He plays the policeman. Yes, of course he does. <laughs> Why are we fighting? We're trying to have a nice time. I can't believe we're falling out on Dennis Farina. Oh, oh dear. sorry. Mustache guy. Yeah. Mustache guy. <laughs> That's like yesterday at Tom work. Salvador? Is this who you're thinking of? Salvador Dali? Yesterday at work. <laughs> okay. Yesterday at work, I was I was trying to remember the name for something, and I was talking to my work, and I was like, I was like, um, you know, where's that thing? I said, where's the thingamajigger? And he's like, what thingamajigger? I said, the bow strap. Do I have to spell it out for you? T h i n g a m i a g i g g e r. How do you spell thingamajigger? Anyway, okay, let's. I just can't. You know, if I can't remember something, I just put the word in. That's how yeah, you do it. Well. And unfortunately, we have no more time. Here and thanks <laughs> for, for listening. For what? <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, let's start with dork, dork shadows. So you remember last last week 
We had no, some we had some stuff happening. So what's that? Sorry, okay. what you said? No, no, I don't. I don't remember nothing. But continue. <laughs> well, I'll just do a quick recap of of, of that. What we talked about near the end of it, anyway. Remember, blueberry tried to get the cereal, <laughs> but Count Chocula said, "No, keep your paws off of them." They all scared each other, and the Frankenstein monster shit his pants. I mean, it shit strawberries came out of his leg. Whoa. Remember that? Don't, don't, I don't. Okay, fair enough. Please continue. <laughs> so, so last episode, last episode, we we um, had a few things happen. One is that Adam forced um, Barnabas and Julia Hoffman to redo the experiment that created him. Because he wants a mate. He wants a woman who will love him. And so he threatened the life, not only of Vicky, who he had kidnapped, but also the entire Collins family, whom Adam knows is, is, is uh, very important to Barnabas. He's all about family. He's like the fast and the furious, only old. And Oh, I guess, you know what? That guy is old, right? The, the lead character, lead actor? Yeah. So then, but, but you know, uh, Barnabas is old when in the days when, like, when you're old, you were like old. Yeah, yeah, old, like, old. Like nowadays, you 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 pump iron and stuff like that, and you don't look quite as old. <laughs> so then, and also, let's not forget that Angelique, who was revived by by Nicholas Blair as a vampire, uh, Joe Haskell, Maggie Evans' boyfriend, was lured to Nicholas Blair's house where he encountered Angelique, pretending to be Blair's secretary, and. Gave him a sob story and, and, you know, got him all sympathetic to her. And then she bit him on the neck. Mm. So, so in, now, now what's happening in the old house? Julia is in the basement, mixing up the medicine, as it were, getting, preparing uh, for the experiment to recreate, recreate the, uh, the experiment that, that created Adam so that Adam can have a mate. Meanwhile, Blair is concerned that Tom Jennings, the handyman who stumbled upon Angelique's coffin in his basement, is worried that he will tell someone about this coffin. You know, these evil people always seem to be really worried about other people's opinions of them. (laughs) That's how it starts. Yes. So he's worried. So he, uh, he wants, he wants something done about it. And so Angelique sends Joe, who of course is now her, her lackey. He's in, under her control because she has bit him on the neck. He's in her thrall. She sends Joe to Tom's room because Tom is, is Joe's cousin. And so of course, Joe wouldn't do anything to, to harm Tom because they're cousins. They, they like each yeah, other a lot. Sure. They've been friends for a long time. So he goes to Tom's room and uh, under the guise of saying the room is too hot, he opens the window, which is done for one thing, which is, of course is to let Angelique into the room. And so she sneaks in and she bites Tom Jennings on the neck and finishes him off. Oh. Tom Jennings is dead. So Barnabas, of course, hears about this and he's like, well, you know what that means. And everyone's like, no. He says, <laughs> he says well, Tom Jennings is going to be a vampire. So Willie, we have to go dig him up. And Willie's like, I don't want to do that, Barnabas, because I always object to things you tell me to do. And Barnabas is like, no, Willie, we must do it. So Willie goes, oh, okay. And so they go in and they dig up Tom's grave and they discover the coffin is empty. Oh, so he's out and about. What a waste! What a so, waste of a good coffin. So Barnabas warns warns Julia that Tom is now a vampire, and while Julius Julia is working in the basement, as I said, mixing up the medicine. Classic reference to the Bob Dylan song, everyone. Ah. When she's in the basement working, she is she hears some noise from upstairs, and she of course assumes it's Barnabas. She says, "Barnabas, you're back already," but it isn't Barnabas. It's Tom Jennings, 
and he comes down into the basement and he bites Julia on the neck. Yeah. Now Julia is in thrall to a vampire. So we got two people, Joe and Julia. So, um, sorry, just looking at. Oh no, take your time. I feel like I feel like I turn. I always turn. I always go backwards when I'm trying to read these things. Anyway, so <laughs> now Julia is under Tom's control, and she informs Barnabas that she can't continue with the experiment. And of course, Barnabas is like, "What? Because you you know that someone's like Adam's going to kill a bunch of people if we don't do this." And she's like, "Well, I can't because you know what? I'm in love with this person. I can't tell you about it, but I and I'm going to wear a, suddenly start wearing a scarf, and you're not going to ask me why I'm suddenly wearing a scarf in a place where we've already established there are vampires." <laughs> but Barnabas does finally look under the scarf, and he discovers fang marks on Julia's neck, and he's he's all like, "Julia." But she can't help it. So, of course, she knows the situation, but she can't help herself. She's in thrall to the vampire. She, when he calls her, she goes there. Yeah. And meanwhile, Jeff breaks, in, breaks into the laboratory and discovers what's going on. And he's not happy about it. And he confronts Barnabas. And Barnabas has one thing to say. Well, now that you know about it, I think you should help us. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff's like, no! In, in his weird, strident voice, no, I'm not going to help you. But he, he does end up helping them. He agrees to help them. That let, lets Willie off the hook. Because Willie, let's face it, what good is he? We then learn from... Willie. Yeah, Willie. We then learn that... Ro- well, we learn from Roger that Elizabeth has escaped from Wincliffe Sanitarium, where she had been sent because of her death wish. Uh, she returns... I mean, he, sa- he announces this, and then she's like already there, basically. She like kind of appro- comes into the house. <laughs> Here I am. And we're like, Elizabeth, oh. And she doesn't want to be sent back. She she she's mad at Roger for sending him sending her away, and she feels like he has betrayed her. But she's suspicious of the whole family because dun dun dun, they want to kill her. They're like, we don't want to kill you. What are you talking about? She's like, I know you want to kill me. You want to bury me alive. She's like, you you might be crazy. Maybe you should go back to the sanitarium. I don't want to go back to the sanitarium. She then she's suspicious, of course. So she follows Julia when Julia sneaks out of the house. She goes, oh, something's afoot here. She doesn't realize that Julia is sneaking out to meet with Tom, the vampire. But she follows Julia to the tomb where Tom's coffin is kept. And she thinks the tomb, uh, the coffin is there for her. This is what the family is going to you know, kill her and put her in this coffin. But Julia goes to um, Tom's you know, place, but Barnabas rescues her from there and brings her back to the old house. And basically sequesters her there and wants her doesn't want her to leave doesn't want her to, to follow tom but he now knows where where the crypt is because he actually learned this sorry i kind of skipped ahead a bit because elizabeth can't come elizabeth comes to barnabas to also accuse him of being part of this general plot of of you know wanting to kill her but he learns from her about this coffin he's like aha so julia was there double aha because that means where tom that's where tom jennings <laughs> the vampire is double and, uh, yes so he he wants to uh so he goes there and gets Julia, brings her back to the old house, and then basically, you know, but, you know, she wishes to not be in the thrall of the vampire, just that she can't help it when he calls her. So but he says, you know, I want you to stay here. I'm going to lock you in this room and I'm going to go and find Tom Jennings. And so he goes back to the, to this crypt where the coffin is. And as he's in there, kind of like walking around preparing and he's got, he's got a, he's got a uh, wooden stake and a hammer. He's already, and he opens up the coffin and it's empty. He got there too early. He didn't listen to Willie. Willie told him it was too early, but he was in too too much of a rush. So he gets there. The coffin is empty, and as he's standing there, Tom Jennings enters from behind. And uh oh, that's not a bad, by the way. 
Anyway, he comes into the room from behind Barnabas, and they get into a tussle, into a fight, into oh. an old man fight on a stage. Ah. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of pushing and shoving, and you know strangling. Always strangling. Everyone's strangling each other in the yeah. show. There's the most common way to die is from strangulation. Yeah, so it's the sexiest way to go to. Uh, is it the sexiest way? I guess. I guess if, if you're an old guy, yeah. Someone leaning over you, strangling the life out it's of you. It's intimate. Nice. But here's you get the th- some attention. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's right on the. It's it's almost dawn, and he keeps telling Tom Jennings, "He's like, you need to get back in the coffin." It's almost on, but Tom Jennings is like, I'm going to fight you. So they're fighting, mm-hmm. and he knocks Burnhamus unconscious. But before oh. he can deal the death blow, the sun... I'm surprised that he can be knocked unconscious. I didn't know that was... Barnabas? Yeah. Well, remember, Barnabas isn't a vampire anymore, right? Oh, right. He's course. been cured of his vampirism by, right. by Dr. Lang. Right. So, yeah. So, okay. who, of course, Dr. Lang, the great-grandfather of Stephen Lang, the actor who played <laughs> the attorney... Opposite the Mustache Man, right in Michael Mann's crime story, but in Michael Mann's Johnny Cyber. <laughs> so, so Barnabas is knocked unconscious, but because the sun is rising, Tom Jennings cannot deal the death blow, and so he has to get into the coffin to escape the the burning rays of the sun. And when he's in this coffin, Barnabas awakes and drives a stake through Tom Jennings and ends his vampire career. So now Joe has become a very bad boyfriend to Maggie Evans because he is a vampire. Well, he's not really a vampire yet, but he's on the road to being a vampire. He is. Yeah. He has become the you know the acolyte, the whatever, the assistant of a vampire. He's the apprentice, yes. And when he's a vampire's apprentice, that's right. And when uh, when so he goes to Maggie and he's like, Maggie, I'm sorry I didn't come over last night. And Maggie's all like in a huff because he didn't come over. You know, you know how women are. Oh yeah. And so he apologizes. He's you know makes a, some lame excuse that he fell asleep because he was tired from working. Because you know it sounds better than saying I was with a you know this beautiful vampire lady who has been sucking on my neck. <laughs> and yeah, so for some reason women are bothered by it. I don't know what it is. What can you say? Women, right? Yeah, they don't like the undead. They don't like the undead, or their boyfriend's cheating. So is he, it cheating if they're dead? If the woman's dead? Yeah. Well, you know, they're the living dead. So I feel like that's such a, it's such a, it's so on the border that if you are bothered at all by a cheating boyfriend that you're not going to like make, you're not going to, those kind of distinctions aren't cost effective. That's what I'd say, you know? Okay. I just think that, you know, when you get married, it's like till death do you part, right? So yeah. it feels like, you know, then death is like, oh, well. But the, know, who's dead, wait, sorry, who's dead though? Are you saying like Angelique is dead, so it's okay for him to cheat with her or because, because Joe is not dead yet. I gotta check the rule book. I'm not 100 percent sure. Because he's not—he's not a vampire yet. Okay. Because he has not died yet. Okay. So he's—he's looking—not looking good though. He's as pale as a ghost. He's got okay. big dark circles under his eyes. And is it okay to have sex with a ghost? If you're—if you're going out with someone? Yeah. No. Like, say Dan Aykroyd is the Ghostbusters. Yeah. And okay, so maybe he. Well, that's fine. He's not—he's not attached to anyone. He is a—he's a free agent. Mark, but say he was married, could okay. he still get oral sex from the blowjob ghost in uh, Ghostbusters? No, he can't. Mm-hmm. That's cheating. Is it? Yeah. Is there a ghost? Yes, it is cheating. A, a ghost? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cheating. That's a ghost, though. I don't know. So, okay, so so if I was married, which I am. You are. I am married. So let's say I went I went to a ghost prostitute, got a blowjob. Okay. Is that cheating? Okay. Is that cheating? Okay, well, all right. 
Uh, I don't know if it is. It's like, okay, so what if you, okay, let me say this. Yeah, all right. Say you instead sure. go to a prostitute tree <laughs> and you put uh, like $50 into a knot hole yes. and then you put yourself into a separate knot hole <laughs> to, to completion. Sure. And, then, and then you're done. Yeah. Have you now cheated on your wife with a tree? One question. Where's the butter? Moving on. <laughs> so, uh, so Joe Joe begs Maggie to not not let him leave. He says, "You gotta, you know, I'm gonna want to leave. You can't let me. No matter what I say, no matter what I what I do, you can't let me leave." She's like, "Okay, I'm gonna keep you here." And he's like, "All right, that's a plan." And then Angelique calls him, and says, "Joe, Joe, come to me, Joe." And he just goes to the door and Maggie says, Joe, where are you going? And she tries to block him and he just like throws her to the floor <laughs> and leaves. So that wasn't, she wasn't very effective with what I'm saying at stopping him. From going. It was her fault. That's what I'm saying. So Joe goes to Angelique and when he's there, when he's there waiting for her because she's not, oh, I guess it's still kind of daylight or whatever. So she's not like completely out. She's just calling to him because she wants him to be there when she, she comes out, when she awakens. But while he's there, he's waiting. Barnabas breaks into Nicholas Blair's house to get a sneaky look around. And he goes in and he does what all of us should do when we go into someone's house. The first thing you do is you go over to like a little hutch and you look in through all the drawers, all the little drawers. And you kind of search around, dig around sure. in there. Then yeah. you look in like, like little hidey holes and you dig around in those places. But do not, whatever you do, search the rooms, other rooms in the house. Mm-hmm. I just want you to go into one room Concentrate on one piece of furniture that has a lot of drawers in it, and that is search enough. You have searched high and low in that in that instance. You don't need to look anywhere else. Lord, don't go into the basement. The you know the probably the least likely place you'd find a coffin in anyone's house. Don't go into the basement. Look, go into the main kind of living room, sitting room area. Yeah. Search a hutch. So that's what he does. Expertly searches the hutch. Looks through the looks through it. Finds nothing. Almost knocks something over. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he's interrupted by Joe. He's like, what are you here for? What are you doing? And of course, Barnabas is like, well, I can say the same thing to you. What are you doing here? Why are you at Nicholas Blair's house? And Joe is like, oh, I came here to, I was invited here by, by Nicholas Blair. And then Barnabas is like, well, I think you should leave. I think you should get out of here. I think he can see like what's happening to Joe. Because, you know, Barnabas was a vampire. He knows what's going on here. You can't yeah. fool him. He's down. He, he's, on, he's up for all the vampire tricks. Unless you hide your, your your fang marks with a scarf, then he's like he's at a loss completely. But other than that, he's right on. He's right all right. So he he convinces Joe to leave, which I I really quite liked. He convinces Joe to leave, and then Joe returns to Maggie's apartment, and he doesn't bring Barnabas with him. I thought that was weird. Barnabas isn't with me. He just goes back by himself. He goes back to Mark, and he apologizes to Maggie, and he says to her, you know, kind of explains. He can't tell her everything because no one can ever tell anyone about vampires in this show. Yeah, why like, not? Every, I don't know what it is. Like everyone says, you know, like what's going on? What's happening to you? And they're all like, I can't tell you. I can't sit. I can't tell you what's going on. Now, like, is this a world that has like Dracula movies and stuff, and people know fictional, the fictional vampire situation, or are they just a completely new beast that you know? Well, there is a comment from from Professor, uh, from Professor Stokes in one of the episodes where he says, um, where he kind of references. Like common knowledge about vampires. Ah, very good. So people are happy to. But then yeah. says like, but no one would expect that, you know, like no one's expecting that to happen. 
you know? So he, he says like, so, you know, it's sort of, we know about it, but it's not something that we're looking for. You know what I mean? Like, so if you, if your friend showed up one day and he was wearing an ascot and was deathly pale, you know, our first thought, because we, you know, we live in the real world, wouldn't be like, oh, well, look at Joe. He's been obviously in the thrall of a vampire and is hiding the, the, the wound. Like, you're not going to think that. You're going to think, oh, my friend is wearing an ascot and not looking very well. Partly because ascots are really unattractive as a fashion accessory. But also, I'm joking. They're great. But <laughs> also, uh, he's, he's uh, sick. He looks really sick. You know what I mean? Like, we're not, you know, we're, that's not our go-to when we see someone who looks sick. We don't go, oh, my God. He's halfway to being undead. This guy's, mm. this guy's, you know, in the, he's got a vampire, all, he's got vampire all over him. I can smell it. No, you just, that's not how we think, right? And this, this is the same sort of reality as ours. Like people don't think, you know, even though we've heard about vampires and we have vampire movies, we think about it as, as fiction, you know, like, like if I went to the kitchen and the glass was laying broken on the floor, I'm not going to go, this house is haunted. I need to get it exercised. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm just going to think, oh, some, something happened and knocked this glass off the table. Like, the cat jumped on the table or it was too close to the edge and it fell off on its own accord or something happened, right? Or someone broke it and just walked away because they're teenagers. I don't know. So, I, yeah, I just don't think that that's our natural go-to. So, I, I'm going to excuse people for not, like, jumping to this conclusion right away. Okay. But I, what I don't like or what I find odd, I don't I don't like it, but it is sort of frustrating when you're watching the show is that there's so many opportunities for people to, like, with a simple, you know, with a simple explanation, like clear the air entirely. Yes, it's insane what you're going to say to this person. Yes, it's preposterous. But you've said it. You know? Like, you got it out there. Yeah. I'm a vampire, or I am currently in the power of vampire. But I guess you can't say it, because you were in the power of the vampire. So you are... Uh, there you go. Yeah, that's the problem right there, isn't it? Like, if you weren't yeah. in the power of the vampire, of course you could say it, but maybe part of that power is that you cannot... You can, like, apologize for it, you can ask for help, but you cannot voice what's happening to you yeah it's a real catch uh catch chocula <laughs> it's a real catch chocula yeah indeed so um so yes <laughs> he goes back to he goes back to um uh, maggie's apartment and apologizes for his brutish behavior and and he says to her you know you have to you have to keep me safe like i really i'm serious like i know i left lesson but i'm going to try my, you know, I'm gonna try so hard to not to not leave here, and so she's like, okay. So he's there, and then jerk of the universe, Nicholas Blair shows up, and for whatever reason, he's got he's got the hots for Maggie. He's he's got plans for Maggie. I am not certain what his what his where his what his motivations are. He he is um he is upset to see that Joe is there though, because he wanted to have some alone time with Maggie. But he's come there with under the because he's you know he's been like negotiating to buy a, a pic, painting by her father. Her, her late father. And so he comes there to, you know, to buy it, make the final payment and, and buy it and take it away. And of course, also to uh, make some inroads, you know, kind of flirt with Maggie, you know, get her interested in him, despite the fact that he's a mustachioed creep. Uh, he's, you know, wants to, uh, but he finds Joe there and he's, he's, you know, looks cool as a cucumber, but we can tell he's mad that Joe's yeah. there. So when he, he leaves, and she's there with Joe, and then Nicholas Blair goes back to the house, and he says to Angelic, Angelique, why isn't Joe here, where he's supposed to be? Why is he with Maggie? And she explains that Barnabas, you know, came and and made him leave with him. And she goes, you see, it's not my fault. She's just really worried about getting in trouble from Nicholas Blair, because, of course, he always wants to kill her. So then so then he uh, he's like, well, you call her, call him right now. And so she's trying to call him, but Joe has done the clever thing of taking some sleeping pills, and so he is, like, knocked out. 
The problem is, though, is that Maggie promised him that she would stay by him and be awake all night long. But he's sleeping on the couch. And she's like, well, I guess he's fine. And so she goes to her bed and she goes to sleep. <sighs> and then when she's, she's awakened in the morning, Joe is gone. He's gone to Angelique, who called him. <sighs> so we know that he is probably lost to her. Right. So that, but then he kind of disappears from the show at this point for a while, which is a kind of weird thing about this show. Like they'll have like an actor will come and they'll be gone for a long time. And then they'll show up again. It feels like a long time. Because the show is like, you know, like the actor might be gone for a week. But it just feels like a long time in showtime because so much stuff is happening. Right. It's crazy. So then Nicholas, he uh, calls to Willie as Willie's sleeping. He can go into Willie's mind and basically sort of hypnotize Willie into, tell, into talking to him and telling him the plans that are going on right now. What's going on? What are they doing in this basement laboratory? He knows, he knows like through Adam... Basically, he's like, he's basically provoked Adam into into causing this whole thing to happen as part of his plan that we don't quite understand what what his plan is. But we we know that he wants this uh, this experiment to take place, you know. And, and strangely, he's like allowing it to be interfered with by like having Julia be you know uh, bitten by Tom Jennings. By the way, when Tom Jennings was killed, Julia was fine again. Oh, okay. So the like the the marks disappeared from her neck, and she was okay. Oh, okay. So. So, um, so basically, uh, Nicholas grills Willie and learns, learns that the first exp- experiment used Barnabas's life force to animate Adam. And so he's very excited by that. He's like, oh, the life force. Ah, interesting. Ha ha. Hee hee. He talks to Angelique about this. And Angelique says, well, I will provide the life force. He's like, ah, 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 don't be so quick. I don't want you to do it. I'm going to bring the spirit of of uh I can't remember the name of this the one of the Borges. Borges from the wait, a long time ago? Is it the one with the mustache? <laughs> the mustache Borgia? No, the the female Borgia. I can't remember her name. Anyway, one of those evil Borgias that poison poison people and stuff like that. He's like sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I wanna bring this evil, one of the evil ones. One of the evil ones, yeah. I'm gonna bring this evil Borgia back to life and then yeah. she will will use her life force to animate this because he wants evil, he wants evil to become incarnated in, inside sure, this sure, yeah. inside this uh, Adam's mate. But Angelique is determined to become the life force, and so she appears in the laboratory while Jeff is working in there. Okay, so she's uh, he was working in the lab late one night. Late one night, yeah. Okay, when his eyes beheld an eerie sight. Okay, that's true. She was kind of eerie looking because she does that weird kind of weird smile and like opens her eyes really wide, and he's like. Why are you staring at me? I can't stop staring at you. And then she bites him in the neck. Ah. And she convinces suddenly, him. Suddenly, to his surprise. Yes. It's in the neck. He should <laughs> be in the neck. She in the neck. And I went, what the heck? She in the neck. And my blood starts to fleck. And in the neck. <laughs> yes. So now Jeff is in, is in uh, Angelique's thrall. And this begins to not only affect his work around the lab, because she wants... She wants him to perform the experiment himself using her to animate okay. the the corpse. What, uh, so you're saying like the monster from the slab would begin to rise. That's right. Suddenly, yeah. To his surprise. Yeah. Is that song based on this show? <laughs> that song predates this show. So it, ah, vice versa. Right. So is this show based on the song? Yes, totally. All right. Thank you very much. That's all I want to know. Eh, fine. Because, so, you know, like... Jeff and Vicky are engaged, as we know. Okay. 
And uh, oh, the, and the reason that Jeff, I have to tell you, the reason that Jeff went into the in, into the uh, lab late one night was because uh, um, Barnabas returned the ring because remember Adam returned the ring to him when right. or gave him the ring as proof that he had Vicky captured. So so then um, he returned it. Once Vicky was returned, he returned it to to Jeff with some lame excuse that they found it or whatever. And Jeff was not buying it. So he was like really no. suspicious and feels like there's and he asked, like, a connection. Whatever to, yeah. Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and so uh, Jeff was really twisted up about this <laughs> and he, uh, and so that's why he, you know, kind of stuck his nose in and now he's in big trouble because he's, he's an, he's Angelique's slave and he's not paying attention to Vicky. And then Roger offers Jeff a job at, down at the, plant or whatever they own and it, but and not like a, not like a menial job no no a sales job like a real good job he wants to send him oh. to boston for a training like a, a training course that they're doing and jeff says no because a he is part of this experiment which is going to save vicky's life so he can't not do that because he's got to save vicky's life but also uh angelique's got his her claws into him so he's kind of stuck now elizabeth has a dream of being buried alive. And she wakes up in absolute horror. Absolute horror. And she calls her lawyer. It's like, it's late at night. She calls her lawyer and the lawyer's like, uh, listen, let's do this in the morning. And she's like, no, I want you to come now. And he's like, no, I'm not going to. And she says, I've been using you for years. Uh, you know, and, but he won't come. And so, so she's mad. She hangs up, basically fires him. And she calls Tony Peterson, our, fav- our favorite lawyer. And he, uh, and she says, you know, I want you to come over right now. And he's like, well, I'm a poor struggling lawyer. I'm on my way. So he heads over and she basically um, has Tony write a codicil to her will. We don't know what it is yet, but we do know that she has written this this add-on to the will. And she says, and she says to him, they couldn't deny me this, could they? After all I've done for them and all that I will do for them through the will. And he's like, oh, well, they can't not. I mean, they, if it's in the will. They have to do it. So she's satisfied. And then Tony and Carolyn meet up. And they uh, do a little canoodling, but they are observed by a jealous Adam who oh, com- comes oh. down and he attacks Tony after Carolyn leaves and knocks him, un- knocks him unconscious. And Carolyn knows that it was Adam who did this and she's not happy with him. And so he leaves in a huff. <laughs> so Roger is shocked to learn of the changes that Elizabeth has made to the will. And the change is not that much, really. But it's weird because her what she wants is to be buried in a coffin that's above ground and has a bell, like a cable with a bell attached to it so that yeah. because of her fear of being buried alive, she can ring it to to tell people that she's still alive. And he's like, that is crazy, but I guess we'll do that. But honestly, like, okay, I've heard of this before. Yeah. Now, so you're buried. Yeah. And like, you've done a whole burial. Yeah. How fast can you dig a person up? Well, we've we've tr- we learned that that it can be done because remember Barnabas was buried, okay, and came alive. So and uh, and not only was he dug up, but he was dug up by Professor Stokes, who was a kind of heavy set fop. Uh, I think a little little in the way of like digging experience. Mm-hmm. So he was able to still get uh, to get Barnabas out of there. So it's possible. I mean, it just depends where you where people are when they hear your bell ring, right? Yes, so. Yeah. And that's not for whom the bell tolls. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure, sure. And then the, when you, if you're not going to ask, then you really aren't going to be very helpful. So now Jeff has been acting kind of strange, strange, distant, mysterious, secretive, and Vicky's not happy about it. And of course, rather than say to her, listen, Barnabas, 
was part of an experiment which created this guy named Adam, who is not really a human, not alive like you and me. He's a revived corpse, basically, made up of several different corpses, many of which I dug up while I worked for Dr. Lang. <laughs> and so Adam, this creature, this revived, you know, Frankenstein, might say, like creature, has demanded that we perform an experiment that will create another being like him, which, yes, seems irresponsible, but here's the thing. <clears throat> if we don't do it, he's going to kill you, and also all of the Collins family. So we kind of feel like we should do this, and I know it's bad, and I've been kind of secretive, and it feels like I've been distant lately, and also I've been bitten by a vampire <laughs> who I'm in thrall to. So those two factors together have made me a little bit distant, and I'm trying to work my way through this. I'm hoping he'll be patient, but he doesn't say that. He just tries to, like, fum for it off, and she returns the engagement ring, and now the engagement has been called off. Oh, boy. Now, Angelique shows up while Jeff is working in the lab late one night, as you've pointed out. <laughs> and she demands that he perform the experiment then and now, because she has heard that, well, she knows, A, that Nicholas does not want to use her, but she also knows that... Um, she has to act quickly because before Nicholas Blair has an opportunity to get his hooks into things. So, so she demands that Jeff perform this experiment and he begins to, to do it, begins to perform it. But as he's preparing it or working away at it and machines are humming and lights are flashing and stuff like that, Barnabas appears and he's like, Jeff, what are you doing? And, but when Barnabas arrives, Angelique disappears, like literally like pops away. <laughs> She's gone. And so, Jeff tries to like make an excuse and tries to, you know, tries to brazen his way through it, but it's to no avail. And Barnabas basically fires him, although I don't think he's getting paid for this, but fires him from his voluntary position and says, never darken my door again. And so Jeff leaves. And then Adam, who of course was upset after his, his little uh, set to with Tony and getting in trouble sure. from, from Carolyn returns to Collinwood and meets up, meets up with Carolyn who gives him a gift. She has bought him a nice little green sweater, which he immediately starts wearing for the rest of the shows. And he's very touched by that. Amazingly touched by it. But, you know, he still has this thing that he's like, oh, this is the most wonderful thing anyone's done for me. Also, I'm going to kill your whole family if I don't get this thing done that I want. <laughs> so, so Barnabas has decided that the person who's going to provide the life force for this creature that they've stitched together is going to be Maggie Evans. Mm. Because she's alone. She doesn't have her father's dead. And her boyfriend is, you know, half vampire. So really, she's quite unattached. And who's going who's gonna to say anything if she disappears, if, if it goes wrong? And if it goes right, everything's good. It's all cool. So Maggie's it. But Willie isn't so happy about this. Because Willie, of course, has a not-so-secret crush on Maggie. And so he goes to her house and tries to get her to leave. He's like, you got to move out. You got to leave town. You got to go. And she's like, I can't just leave town. He's like, no, you got to go. You got to go away because you're in danger. And she's like, what's, my, what's the danger? I can't tell you. I can't tell you what the danger is. But believe me when I tell you, it's very dangerous. Leave town. <laughs> she's like, well, I can't afford to leave town. Like, I don't have a job and I'm, I, you know, I'm, and she doesn't refuse to. So he chloroforms her and takes her away. So when Barnabas shows up, there's no one there. And now he's worried, though, because Adam expects results, you know. He's the Mr. Dithers of <laughs> creatures, and he expects results. And so Barnabas is afraid that Adam's going to be mad about this, and he's really upset with Willie, but Willie is nowhere to be found, because Willie has hidden Maggie in the secret room at the mausoleum, which, of course, 
Barnabas knows about, and maybe if he was thinking, would go, what is the place where Willie would want to hide someone that not everyone knows about? Oh, the secret room. But he doesn't. He's just, they search high and low, but they cannot find Willie or Maggie Evans. And then he decides that he's going to kill Adam. So when Adam shows up, he'll kill him and that'll solve all the problems because that's worked out so well <laughs> earlier. So what the heck? Let's try it again. So he's got a rifle. And he's going to kill, he's going to kill Barnabas or sorry, he's going to kill Adam. And then when, uh, when Adam's there, he knocks a rifle out of Barnabas's hands, knocks, knocks Barnabas unconscious. And then he goes to Collinwood and attacks a sleeping Vicky. And fortunately, they were able to get to Collingwood in time to prevent Adam from killing Vicky, but she is she is injured by, by Adam. So then Nicholas Blair convinces Adam that Carolyn should provide the life force in the second experiment, because then her feelings for Adam will be transferred into this creature. And Adam's like, oh, that's a good idea. So he's all for it. And then so Blair hypnotizes that popular that popular thing hypnotizes uh carolyn or does whatever some sort of witchy poo on uh on carolyn and convinces her that she wants to provide the life force for this experiment which she's never even heard about before but she's all gung-ho about it now and then in the mausoleum maggie of course has been imprisoned there by willie but she's been in the mausoleum before and she's been in the graveyard before and it starts to trigger memories she starts thinking about when she was captured by Barnabas and forced to stay in a cell and when she almost escaped and, and Barnabas tracked her down in the graveyard and made her go back again. And, and she's thinking about all this stuff and she realizes, she has a sudden realization, Barnabas is a vampire. Oh. And that's where we'll leave it this week. Wow. Of course, Barnabas is not a vampire right now, so. No, no, but has been. She's not, she's not half wrong. She's not wrong. No, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. Yeah. I'm, by the way, I, I just uh, quickly sent you uh, a parody of, uh, of Dark Shadows that was done by Stan Lee and Roy Thomas and, uh, and uh, Marie Severn. Oh, cool. Yeah. So is it so, from uh, like uh, Brand Ech or something like that? It's from Spoof. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, well, thank you for the update on the world <laughs> of, uh, you know, I was going to say on the world of, you know, the vampire, but he's not a vampire. No, he's not a vampire right now. Uh, there are vampires, though, because, of course, Angelique is the vampire right now. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So there are still vampires. So that's good. All right. Yes. Um, it was, I'm gonna, it was I'm also very now. silly of him to want to kill Adam because, of course, they know kind of what Dr. Lang was saying about the fact that he and Adam are connected in some way. There is just bad judgment all the way it's around. A bad, it's a bit of silliness, silliness, silliness. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't care for this uh, at all. <laughs> no. Oh, I quite enjoy it. Okay, I, I do too. I, I enjoy hearing you talk about it. <laughs> um, I'm going to go over to our mailbag right now and just walk Oh, over. okay. I open it up, and uh, no one sends actual letters, so let me just go on the internet. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. People post stuff. That's, um, That's true. So last week we asked questions. We asked questions like, have you ever been to a hypnotist show? Uh, were you ever hypnotized? And tell us an interesting fact about your children, if you don't have children, an interesting fact about your pets. If you don't have if, if you don't have children because your pets ate them, let us know that too. That would be an interesting story. Um yeah, the hypnotism thing. Yeah, I was just really interested. I, I I eventually ended up watching a TED talk about it. It was like, well, it, it, it's interesting stuff. Um, it is, but like like a lot of that stuff, like cold readings and, and things like that. It's there's a lot of tricks to the trade. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a felt again. Uh, it's like it was the truth about hypnotism, but it's a TED talk, and the guy kind of breaks it down. And he goes, uh, "It surprised me 
like it's a hypnotist who you know does regular shows. He was saying how the first time he ever hypnotized someone, he was like, I can't believe this is working. And then he realized, oh, because of this, and then uh, kind of breaks down the little tricks he does yeah. to get you to a certain place. And then, you know, what the what the basis of hypnosis is. Yeah, there's also uh, there's also cases where the hypnotist just whispers instructions to the audience members on stage. So Sure, you could do different, that. Um, different things. There's different ways to, to, to make these things. Well, why don't we listen to what our listeners... But before you, before you say that, can I just tell you... Are you telling our listeners to shut up? No, I'm not telling our listeners to shut up. I'm actually okay, giving I'm yes, giving voice to our listeners because yes, Joe Joe wrote into episode 491. Oh, very good. And Joe said, "Question of the week. I guess I'm doing what I planned on." We asked, you know, are you doing now what you had planned when you were younger? And he said, "I guess I'm doing what I planned on. Kind of a nice simple life with a nice family and a job that gives me the security to pursue more artistic avenues. So, I'm very lucky in that way. There we go. That sounds very nice. I agree. It sounds like that uh, the 1980s song, uh, Artistic Avenues. That was, a, that was a good song. Artistic Avenues? Gonna do Artistic Avenue. Avenues. Yeah. Then I'll get perspective, three-point perspective. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so, thank you, Joe. I'm glad, to, I'm glad things are going well with you. And I uh, <laughs> hope that continues. Yes. Wishing you the best. Uh, our friend Louise wrote us. So that's how this begins. <laughs> um, Ian's bus trip to New York. Hey, that's my bus trip to New York. Reminds me of the time I went across Canada one spring with my then university boyfriend. He was uh, going home for the summer and I tagged along until my summer job started. We went from Vancouver to Cranbrook by a two prop plane. Uh, to man a UBC information booth in a mall for two days. Then, Cranbrook to Calgary by hitchhiking. Then, Calgary to Winnipeg by drive-away car, where a car relocation company lets you drive a car for free. <laughs> then, Winnipeg to Sudbury by train. Then, Sudbury to Quebec, New Brunswick, PEI, Nova Scotia, and then back to Ontario by car. Then, Toronto to Vancouver by jet. <laughs> And uh, like Ian's friend, uh, Gina, uh, my <laughs> boyfriend had probably seen enough of me by the time I flew home. But I learned a, a lot about the geographical and cultural differences of this immense country. I saw many pregnant women in small, uh, and, and pickup trucks in, a small, uh, in small town Cranbrook. We hit a late snowfall in Saskatchewan and saw vast fields of white. <laughs> I found out that when you start crossing the birch and muskeg covered terrain of northern Ontario by train at sunset, you'll still be crossing it when the sun rises. I helped salvage a hardwood floor from an old schoolhouse in rural Ontario. I hung out on a communal farm in Quebec. I tried to sleep in a hotel room over a francophone dive bar in Bathurst. <laughs> in Halifax, I stayed with scuba divers who x-rayed the hulls of ships underwater for a living. I went to the Royal Ontario Museum and enjoyed its fundraising slogan, Rom wasn't built in a day. In retrospect, it was a crazy trip, and I'm lucky to be alive. But on the whole, it was a good eye-opening experience. Louise, I say you recreate that trip. Yes, please. Yes. And I, I don't know. Listen, I don't know who your, your university boyfriend was. I don't know if they're married. I don't know what's going on with them. But I say, call them up. Say, <laughs> listen, it doesn't have to be shenanigans. Yeah. But you, you, you two just go on this trip and then take a lot of pictures. You go, we're going to recreate it all. And then get funding from Canada Council. Eh? There you go. And you may have to cross it a second time in French <laughs> just to get the full funding. So I just want to say, 
two things I want to say about this. I would love to fabulous hear. comment, which I, I enjoyed very much because I just love I just love the whole idea of that experience. But just so people know, muskeg is a Canadian term for basically a swamp, which is a big part of the Canadian Shield. When you go into the Ontario area, you go into this huge, vast terrain that's like this um, uh, area that the glaciers moved across and left these this huge scarred <laughs> area that's all birch trees and and swamp muskegs as they're called, and it's uh, it's quite the quite the uh, terrain and it's really big it's bigger than you can even imagine this just reminds me of uh something that upset me as a young man Mm -hmm. um when i was reading alpha flight comics okay alpha flight comics number one yep by john Byrne. sure art and uh writing by john Byrne. okay great so good so good because it's all these over-the-top canadian stereotypes okay non-believe canadian stereotypes yeah yeah uh, and they end up having to fight a villain called Tundra, mm. which is the Canadian Tundra comes to life after someone kind of possesses it and they have to fight it. And I was like, this is the book. This is what it should be. It should be always fighting something like they should fight a giant lobster, <laughs> you know, in the Maritimes. Sure. They should fight a giant killer whale off the coast of BC. Yeah, absolutely. This is what they should do. Every The Northern Lights come to life and start driving people crazy. That should be Alpha Flight. But then by the next issue, they kill the character off and it's got into all this weird drama. And then by the 12th issue, they blew up one of the main characters. And I was like, no, no, just be stereotypical Canadians, yeah. the, the superheroes doing shit. That's the, that's your thing. That does sound more fun. Yeah. Fuck is what I say. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to say about this con- this letter. Oh, there was the second thing. That's yeah. Right. Um, when she says, in retrospect, it was a crazy trip and I'm lucky to be alive. I just want to say, yeah, we all are lucky to be alive. All of us. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. You're lucky to be alive. You know, like, like I, I would never, I would just feel like it's a terrible thing to like, listen to an experience like this that sounds so magical and wonderful. And just to think I'm lucky to be alive. No, no, this is, there's nothing risky here. This is like the greatest thing I've ever heard of. Like, I'm, just, I'm so jealous that you got to do this. Like, this is so great. Like, everything about it is great. Like, the whole experience. I, I, I think I, I don't want to speak for Louise here. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to. Um, sure. uh, what it feels like to me is uh, she, she realizes the amount of times in this she could have died. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in my trip across the, uh, like, I can think of times yeah. where I was like, oh, I should have died. There. That would have been. That would have made sense. Sure. Like if I died, everyone would have gone. Yeah, of course you did. You moron. What you? What were you thinking? Um, so that I could see, not as in gratitude or what have you, but, but being alive to this day. But as in, oh, that was lucky. That's true. Well, yeah. I, I guess you could just think that every day you come home in your car. Oh, that was lucky. I just drove a piece of metal around it, incredible speed. While other people drove around me and pieces of metal at incredible speeds, and we all trusted each other to not disobey traffic laws and just drive straight through lights and smash into each other. Oh, thank God. <laughs> that way life matters. That way life matters. <laughs> lucky we're all, kept we're all lucky. I'm at, we it, need none of those meteorites. Uh, it's kind of like, it, yeah, it'd be kind of like if you, you know, there's a, there's a show I was watching one time and they, they did this, they, it was like in a Toronto suburb and they, they did this thing where they, they use the cameras to show all the raccoons 
gathered in the woods around these people, kind of sitting on the back deck of their house, having yeah. having a barbecue dinner. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can Wait, see that raccoons were having a barbecue. Dinner. No, no, the, the family, like this, this family, like this Toronto family, was having. <laughs> sure, they're having this barbecue dinner, and then the, the, they did this thing with a camera where it showed you like this all this wildlife that was there, but you couldn't see it. It was, wasn't perceptible until you until you like looked at it. You looked really carefully, right? Yes. And that's kind of like your life. Like it'd be so terrifying. Like if you could like go through a day and then look back at all the po- all the near misses and oh, yeah, things yeah. that happened to you during the day where you know you didn't even realize how close you'd come to like to death. You just oh, were yeah, yeah. you were lucky. Well, that's what they always say is no like that, uh, the thing that would drive you crazy is know the amount of times that you almost died and that you almost had sex. <laughs> oh, really. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to know about that. You're thinking like, oh, I had a chance there and I didn't. <laughs> oh. Oh. I guess that's the case. It drives me nuts. They liked me. When? How did they like me? What did anyone say? No. Oh, fudge. <laughs> and so on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of people that like you, uh, Lisa uh, uh, wrote us. Yeah. And said an interesting fact about Speaking about children, times I had sex. Okay, well, I'm not feeling comfortable anymore. <laughs> An interesting fact about my children. Hmm, there are so many. Oh, you have so many children. Uh, well, first of all, they're both great in their own unique ways. Uh, I'm, sure any, uh, I'm sure most parents would claim the same about their own children. For my oldest, I would have to say her ability to cut to the root of any story, film, or other similar form of entertainment, even from a very early age. When she was little, my family had seasons tickets to the ballet, and every so often, my mom wouldn't be able to go, so we'd throw Mary in the car with us. Chick-hunk! Uh, <laughs> with uh, the more traditional stories are pretty easy to understand. The modern pieces are less accessible, to me anyway. And I typically have to read that little synopsis to get the story. Anyway, uh, once when Mary was four-ish, after seeing one of these, she started discussing how the characters were moving through the story, and I was like, what? I checked the synopsis, which I hadn't done it. Uh, ahead of time and it turns out she was way ahead of me and was actually following the story and since then getting the theme and understanding metaphors and those things have been pretty easy for her whether it be in a book a film or what have you meanwhile Eve from an early age was able to read people super well I can remember her tapping into how I was feeling even before I was aware of it and as a result she's also very good at dealing with people who aren't at their best and she likewise she was able to easily and tactfully sidestep some kids who were friends uh, by proximity in her youth, who ended up heading down the wrong path by extracting herself from their orb in a timely way that didn't ruffle anyone's feathers. Now she's kind of a ringleader for activities with her friend group. So that skill has morphed into some leadership qualities, which are always good to have. As for our pets, Al, Pitbull, is the Jack Reacher of the dog world, and that he has the uncanny ability to know what time it is without wearing a watch. 5 a.m. it's breakfast. 4 p.m. it's dinner time on the dot. And Boo, an elk hound, has in his dotage, he's 15 this year, become a kid magnet. In the past, he was largely ignored by the neighborhood kids, but now he's the current cul-de-sac favorite and now has fans knocking on our door to see if he can come out on a regular basis. <laughs> our Pony Harris is a four-time Canadian champion. Connemara, am I saying that right? That's right, yep. Pretty good. Uh, which is impressive in its own right, but uh, he also has the somewhat rare ability to be able to dial it in as a horse to match his rider. We can be uh, scared, we can put scared or beginner riders on him, and he does the Harris shuffle, <laughs> barely moving uh, above two miles per hour. But if Eve or a more accomplished rider gets on him, he's all, go, 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 jump, 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 
and also figures out those riders of intermediate ability and gives them just the type of ride that they need for building confidence. My horse Archie also has the magical ability to hurt himself fairly catastrophically on a regular basis. <laughs> but he's true. also very cute and loving and, and will whinny and gallop across the field to me when he sees me. So I guess you could say he's a horse who knows what side his bread's buttered on. Not that horses should eat bread. Nay, and definitely <laughs> we should not talk about butter in this context. That's not what this show does. No. no. Uh, Edward Jordansky responds to that saying, I'm not sure I've ever heard about Alan Boo on the podcast. Al has been mentioned on the, yeah, both have been months before, Oh yeah. But a long time ago. I, I love dogs. It, isn't it amazing how dogs can tell the time by our behavior? I have two dogs who do stupid things all the time but still managed to astound Susan and I about how clever their behavior is. I suppose it's repetition and reinforcement, but it seems like these critters know more than we give them credit for. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Edward goes on to write, Sincerest thanks for the kind comments on the May, to, May the 4th news segment. It's been ages since anyone has called me handsome. Wow. Uh, as for my peanut duck designs, that was something I hadn't intended to follow through with, but the more I thought about how fun it would be, I just had to design it to completion. It always begins with a simple sketch, but doesn't always lead to a finished design. I'm glad old Peanut Duck made it. He's original and fun. It's a good thing to design something like that uh, once in a while, uh, while it still comes from a raw inspiration. I even devoted a section to Peanut Duck on my very, very still-in-progress website. And if you go to SneakyDragon.com uh, and episode 492 and read the letters, uh, you'll see that Edward has given us a link to that website and peanut.com. Uh, now that you validated me, it's my turn to validate David. David, prepare to be validated. Yes. Oh, finally. Here we go. Those title cards. Damn. <laughs> I've never seen the entire collection until the link that was provided above. It's inspired me to draw a version of Sneaky Dragon. Oh, cool. I digress. That's your thing. Those cards are priceless and incredibly funny. It's amazing how much laughter can be delivered in a single panel. I looked at every one. I think the Action Comics one with the steering column through Dave's chest and the glass in Ian's head made me laugh the most. Yeah, it was very painful. <laughs> making, you pause, uh, making you pose for that, yeah. Uh, destructive and humorous. You guys know how to fracture my funny bone. <laughs> the dragon feathers and pot eye ones are great too. Hell, they're all great. Fellow sneakers, go and look at these if you haven't already. David's masterpieces need your attention. Yeah, if you go to sneakydragon.com and to our art segment, you uh, art section, you can see uh, the title cards Dave did for some of our previous episodes. I don't think I'd ever Thank want you, to be Ed. Hypnotized. Yes, I appreciate. I don't that. think I'd ever want to be hypnotized, especially by a stranger in front of more strangers. The whole experience just seems off-putting to me. I don't even like the thought of appearing on stage in front of strangers unless I had something, pardon me, to offer them in return. I have two kids, Aaron and Alec, and three stepkids, uh, Jacob, Jordan, and Griffin. So I pick one interesting fact for one, because I can just go on about all of them. My daughter, Aaron, and firstborn, is uh, close in age to Dave's daughter, Mary, and just as cantankerous. Aaron's <laughs> due date put her extremely close to January 31st, which was the release date for the Star Wars Special Edition films. And you know, I was all into that. Everyone kept telling me she would be born on the same day as the Star Wars Special Editions. But I thought, what are the odds of that happening? I bought my ticket anyway, took the day off work, and on the night of January 30th, my wife's water <laughs> And Aaron was born at 10.30 a.m. January 31st, the same day Star Wars was re-released. 
I still have the unused ticket in an album. And I wrote about Aaron to, uh, to all the Star Wars magazines at the time, which published Aaron's story. <laughs> to this day, I call her my star child. There were many who thought I should have named Aaron Leia after this, but her mother wouldn't have any of that. <laughs> and I really think Aaron is such a wonderful name. It really is. I, I, I won the battle three years later when I named my son Alec Ben Tregansky after Alec Guinness, Ben Kenobi. <laughs> my wife at the time, who wasn't a Star Wars fan at all, was never the wiser. <laughs> so no one rat him out. Now, or Womp rat him out. Uh, <laughs> what? Sir? Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I think I'll just hang out here and reply to the other sneakers. Ian! Okay. Uh, Laurel Robertson uh, replies to that. And your peanut duck is fantastic. Thank you for sharing them with us. Also, I checked out your website. Really great. I love the Gretchen Marks quote about art. I encourage everyone to have a look. Response back. Kind. Thanks, Laurel. It's still a work in progress. I was uh, learning to use Wix to build my own website. Uh, so I could learn how to maintain my company's website. Challenging but fun. Chris <laughs> Roberts replies, love the peanut duck design. Edward replies, Peanut Duck loves you, Chris. And so do I. Well, hmm. my, oh my. <laughs> um, Edward, back again. I have a question of the week if you need one. I found one lying around, so I thought I would suggest it. What is something used in film or television that always captures your attention? By this, I mean a film style or gimmick that makes the film stand out. It could be something uh, that is used in multiple films that you look forward to. That is a good question, and I think we'll be happy to rip that off. <laughs> um, have, have you guys watched The Queen's Gambit? I have not, and for a reason, I will tell you about it at the end of your letter. I have, I, I have watch watched it. I have watched it uh, through osmosis. Very good. I started watching the series last week, and they used the film technique of oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it wrong. Okay. Diegetic. Diegetic. Diegetic to non-diegetic sound. I love seeing in films. For example, the show takes place in the early '60s, and I thought of David when I saw this scene. The main character, Beth, is in a room full of girlfriends, and they're watching Hullabaloo on television. Oh, I did the that so often. Yeah, the, the announcer brings on the Vogues, who sing You're the One on TV, and all the girls sing and bop along to the song, except for Beth, who leaves the room in boredom. Even as Beth leaves the room uh, with the TV, we hear the Vogues singing uh, as the song now begins, non-diegetic sound. <laughs> Uh, the song follow. I hope I don't have to say that word again. The song follows Beth out of the scene and far away from the source that started it, becoming part of the soundtrack. Later on in another episode, they do it again with the monkeys singing "I'm Not Your Stepping Stone," and I thought of Dave again. Uh, I love uh, Dave does use a lot of stepping stones. That is, true. <laughs> I uh, I love this sound technique in film. It's better when used sparingly, and it really catches me when I see it starting to happen. Two more notables are. Uh, Uses are Danny Boy playing in Miller's Crossing mm. when Albert Finney uh, defends his burning home with a Tommy gun. Oh, such and a great finally, scene. Unforgivable, unforgettable <laughs> by Nat King Cole uh, in a perfume commercial as the comedian is attacked at the beginning of Watchmen. Don't remember that scene, but I think I think you and I saw that scene um, live. Uh, not live, like of course you don't see it live, but we saw it in a room with the director That's and right. uh, and uh, we watched we watched that scene play out with the crowd. So the sneak um, preview, and somehow I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember Unforgettable playing in that. I'm trying to think. Like, is there a, is there a gimmick that's used in film or television that uh, that you uh, that uh, gets you? Well, luckily, luckily we don't have to answer that right now because. Oh, that's true. That's going to be the question of the week. <laughs> Very good. Then. Laurel Robertson says, 
Hello, dear Ian, dear David, and dear Sneakers. No hypnotism has happened to me, and I haven't seen it done other than on our fave TV show, The Mentalist. As I like, as I like to say, he's the mentalist. <laughs> he is. I was watching uh, some episodes of Psych. My God, they mentioned The Mentalist a lot on Psych. Oh, is that right? Oh, all the time. Like, I like that they'll bring the show up and uh, and say, uh, this is a lot like what we do. Well, yeah, but if it was real, then it would be just a ripoff, <laughs> a, a direct ripoff. And then there's times where, like, uh, there's a local actor named Ryan Beale. Yes. Uh, and he's on the show. And he, uh, he, one of the characters has a dating profile, a woman who has a dating profile. And he goes, ah, you're, uh, it looks here, you like the mentalist. Ah, that's kind of basic. And then they both go off on him, just like, how are you putting down the mentalist? It's a quality show. It's gone on this many seasons. It's great acting. And they're just like, like okay, I'll check it out. You should! Huh. It's a nice little scene. I quite I quite like that show Psych for uh, the first couple of seasons anyway I don't I didn't go on beyond that but uh. I have uh, yeah I've liked to I've liked to, oh okay so the reason I I didn't watch um, Queen's Gambit was when I first started to watch the the Queen's Gambit uh, my cat started to have it almost seemed like a little bit of a seizure and uh, we had to take the cat to the vet that night and make sure he was okay and he was yeah uh, he was uh, it was okay um, uh, and. Uh, and then the next time I tried watching it, something else happened that was like, well, that's a bad thing. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not watching this show. This is a cursed show. I'm not watching this show. Every time I watch it, some bad shit goes down. So yeah. no, sir, I'm not doing that. Well, yeah. The good, the good thing, by the way, about my cat, um, we do have to check. We do have to get them checked out for uh, some, some urinary stuff uh, that uh, we got to check out. But generally, he's good. And uh, as all cats of a certain age, he's got kidney disease because cats get kidney disease. Um, hmm. But uh, we, we, we took him in for, for his checkup and uh, it's, it, it got better. His kidney disease was improving, which is not something that normally happens. It just gets worse, but it's like, no, they're like, yeah, it's actually, it's actually improving. So that was a nice thing to, uh, to hear. Yeah, that's good. So we found that out. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay. Back to Laurel Robertson. Uh, uh, I do have two children who are not children anymore, but great adults. My older is Neil, 36, and an interesting thing about him is that he lived 11 years in Asia. Right out of college, he taught uh, English in South Korea for three years, then one year for Disney in Shanghai. After that, he chose to go to grad school at university in, I'm not going to say it right, Taichung, Taiwan, and end up staying <laughs> seven years. That was fine. Okay, fair enough. Look, man... I've been talking with you for three hours. So this is the time where it comes up to like, here's a word you've never seen before. Come at it hard. Here we go. Okay. Uh, and end up staying seven years. Employed in two different, uh, employed in two diff different during his time there. Oh, that is not my mistake. Uh, he came home uh, for visits several times and I was able to visit him in Taiwan once. And we use <laughs> Skype often. He now lives just two hours south of us with his lovely Taiwanese wife and Corgi. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And good for you putting the wife first. Always smart. Um, my, <laughs> my daughter, Meg, is a home mom of three and also an amazing mechanic and builder. <laughs> she does all sorts of woodworking and built her own workshop single-handedly, uh, siding it in a diagonal uh, pattern, all in pallet wood. Uh, I'm fortunate <laughs> to have her and family just 40 minutes away. As for pets... We currently have two dogs and four cats, and I just adore them all. And they all have their own quirks and interesting characteristics. I always say about cats, if someone says they don't like them, uh, they've never had cats. 
because each one is a very individual and distinct personality. Two of ours have generally chosen to live outside. They are 18 and 20 years old. <laughs> uh, a little scruffy now, but so sweet. I could go on and on about kids and pets, but I'm stopping now. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, um, Laurel. Here's here's something that I, I'm going to say. And Laurel, I'm sure this is not the case with you, but let me just say this. I live in a neighborhood, and look, look I, I, again, I've mentioned my cat, and my cat has a distinct feature, and one of the distinct features is got one white whisker. And I just noticed that. I'm like, oh, that's my cat. My cat has one white whisker. One day I go out. I'm walking down the street, and I see my cat. My cat's there, and my cat's there, and I see the white whisker. I'm like, oh, my God, my cat got out. But I'm like, mm, looks a little different than my cat, but it's got the white whisker. Oh, geez, i got to contact my wife and see if the cat's out because uh, the cat can't go out. Well, as it turned out, long story short, me running back to the house, my cat's fine, and there's a cat outside that's just his doppelganger, almost exactly. Well, there's one more cat in the neighborhood that looks almost exactly like him, ridiculously so, with some features that are not, you know, common. And there's, so there's two cats that look just like him. Now, here's the thing. If I was the kind of person who let my cat out on a regular basis and one of those cats came back, I would think it was my cat. <laughs> now, maybe that's a younger cat and that cat comes in. Now, I'm thinking, oh, boy, my cat's living to be 27 years old. Wrong. It's just a series of different cats that look alike <laughs> that have been coming into my house that I've been assuming are my cat. Yeah. And they're not telling me different. So all I'm saying is I hope those cats that are 18 and 20 are the same cats you started with. But maybe. We'll see. Anyway, over to Mick Elliott. I think you've got imposters. Um, Mick <laughs> Elliott says, I've seen hypnotists perform a couple of times at entertainment uh, as entertainment at corporate conferences. Uh, which I think is a fairly uh, appropriate platform. Yeah, it's good when you invite them. It's bad when hypnotists just show up. Ah! <laughs> and sleep! Um, I was skeptical until I witnessed... Nobody expects of... the Spanish hypnotism. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Well played. Uh, until I witnessed a group of male colleagues who were archetypical, old-school, beer-chugging, misogynist types go on stage and perform a series of increasingly humiliating tasks while under hypnosis. Uh, these are guys who prided themselves on being the kind of loud, crude male behavior in the office that I couldn't stand. So when they ended up pretending to battle each other with invisible lightsabers with their shirts off in front of hundreds of people, I had to concede there was something genuine in the hypnotist skill. The hypnotist brought them out of hypnosis while they were cuddling each other like teddy bears. The shock and confusion on their faces was authentic. I'd worked with all these people for a long time and knew them <laughs> well enough that they would not agree to be publicly humiliated like that for any amount of money. What kind of, by the way, sorry, what kind of corporate conference? <laughs> Where like, all the men are taking off their shirts and just like making out. <laughs> and you're out, you're out. Okay, back to your corporate conference. <laughs> all right, guys. So enough of that, let's all go back to the meetings. We're going to have a... <laughs> okay, fine. By the way, you've given each other herpes. Um, <laughs> it was also interesting to see... This is Australia, uh, so it's chlamydia. Oh, very good. That's right. You've got the koala's kiss. <laughs> it was also interesting to see how at the start of the act, the hypnotist weeded out the volunteers who come up on stage until he had a core group that must have been more susceptible to hypnosis. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. One guy who'd been on stage said afterwards that he knew what he was doing while hypnotized, but couldn't help but go along with it. An interesting fact about my kids, they melt my heart on a daily basis. Aw, that's so nice. That's very, very sweet. Wish I'd said it. Man, a sip of water. Um, <laughs> Jada Jackman, 
wrapping up our web uh, uh, letters, saying hello again. I have actually been to a hypnotist show. They had one at my prom. Uh, I think it was a weird choice. It is. It's not as weird as this conference, though, man. <laughs> no, I think they're both weird. <laughs> I know. But... <laughs> okay. This right. is so weird. Why would you? Again, where's a good place for this? Anyway, I kind of uh, feel the same way. Like if they, but for a prom, I feel like the same way if they brought like a comedian in. Oh, I've uh, I know a lot of people who've done that. That oh, feels weird, though, doesn't it? Like this. Well, there's a lot of what a hell you know, gig. What? It was a pretty standard thing for dry grads here to have improv. Yeah, well, improv. I'm I'm missing like a stand-up. Yeah, you got. I mean, you got to be a stand-up who's got. Oh boy, that just reminds. Sorry, Jada. I'm going off for a second. Um, <laughs> here he goes. A, uh, I started off at a, a club called Punchlines here in Vancouver, and in the basement they opened up a new club called uh, the Comedy Cellar, and it was going to be an all-ages uh, comedy club. And it was, oh, this sounds great! Like I was really looking forward to this. Unfortunately, none of the comedians could do an all-ages set. So, you know, you'd have, first of all, there was another problem too, which was they had all this expensive equipment, sound equipment, and they put it near a wall. And apparently, uh, what we didn't know was there's a series of tunnels uh, in the old gas town uh, that would allow you to break through the wall and seal whatever you wanted. And so people <laughs> found out about that and they broke in and they got all the stuff in a great heist. And those that series of tunnels, uh, I had a friend uh, at the time and his dad used to be in a gang in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, yeah. and they used to hang out in the tunnels. They were a tunnel gang in Gastown. Wow. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, all these comedians who would be like, yeah, I got a, I got an all-ages set, and then you go see them, and there was like, you know, they're the teenagers, and they're drinking soda pop, and like, yeah, my wife's a bit of a bitch. If you like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? How do you not have a set for, oh, get out of here. <laughs> um, I did. I, that was one of the. I got regular gigs there because I had an all ages set. Um, okay, so uh, I've actually been to a hypnosis show. They had one at my prom. Uh, I think it was a weird choice, but many kids were excited about it. I thought it was funny, but I wasn't buying it. High schoolers love attention. I think it's totally plausible that these kids were going along with it for the laughs. As someone mentioned uh, before, uh, the hypnotist removes people that aren't going along with the act. Uh, this discussion actually prompted me to look up uh, videos in hypnotism. Here's a TED Talk. Yeah, there it's the one uh, from a hypnotist who explains what's happening when he hypnotizes. Yeah, the link is there, and it's a good one. I guess I won't spoil it fully. I might. Uh, but it's based <laughs> in persuasion. Uh, no kids and no pets here. But I'd also like to say I don't really like Easy Rider. Mm. I've watched several 60s counterculture films, and while they are never stellar, there at least there's a certain charm that Easy Rider lacks. Like films like Psych Out are just so absurd, it's fun. Uh, it's like Easy Rider is, is both trying to be a low-budget hippie film while also trying to be an actual film and fails at both. And the New Orleans scene is torturous. <laughs> at least the soundtrack is great. Oh, I'm, I'm done. Sorry for the rant. And uh, you don't have to be sorry for the rant. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like movies from that time period that are kind of pandering to, the, to their audience are less interesting than films that, you know aren't are there to like kind of take a not necessarily john decide but be take a realistic look at the time period so like movies like zabriskie point or easy rider you know where it's all about being cool and there's like there's no criticism of any of the actions of these characters you know mm -hmm. like easy Rider is about guys who have like had a ma done a major cocaine deal and are taking their money down to florida you know and so 
you know, I guess at the time period, you're like, oh man, cocaine cowboys, like these cool guys, you know, with their, but you know, this, this it's kind of scummy, like this, it, but it, it never like criticizes them or have any kind of like, I don't know. Although there is a scene at the end when Peter Fonda, before they get, before, before the end of the film where he says, we blew it. So maybe that, I don't know, that's maybe the one minute moment of criticism, but it just feels like it's so off, like off the cuff. It doesn't feel like it's, like it doesn't, it doesn't really resonate, you know? Whereas like I was saying before, like a film like Two Lane Blacktop has no point of view. It's just, it's just, it's just a, it's just showing you that world. You know, and it just mm-hmm. it has a story, but it has no it has no editorial slant to it. It's just pre- presenting uh, kind of a, a clashing cultures in that time period in a non-judgmental way. No, no one's necessarily right or wrong. You can decide, but you know, it's just this is what what, what you're seeing. Or a film like like Alice's Restaurant, like I said before, where the kind of character, this kind of raid, this older guy who's trying to like uh, who you know create this sort of youth like a safe place for like hippies and youth to come come and and hang out and stuff like that but at the same time he's like he's of a different generation and his like expectations are and he has you know he's got control issues you know which are obvious and just things like that you know that make him like not the best guy in the world to be doing this you know and his motivations are a little questionable just like a lot of people's motivations that time period you know like you know there's a lot of vulnerable people in the 60s you know that kind of washed up into various places where they were, you know, ended up in terrible situations because they were vulnerable. They were, they're exposed. They had, you know, whether, whether they'd done a lot of drugs or they were just searching for something, they'd left their families and they were kind of unrooted, you know, they had no, they had no, uh, foundation to themselves anymore. And so they just were prey to, to creeps and, and, you know, people who want to take advantage of this, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a, era that's well worth criticizing and it's unfortunate that in in that time there wasn't like more self-examination from from the the you know the kind of cult counterculture so-called agreed thank you for those thoughts jada uh okay here's basically how hypnotism works uh at least <laughs> at least i'm gonna just nutshell it, but you should look at that uh, youtube clip about the ted hawk from the hip sure, sure. um but basically it's convincing uh, another person yep. that you're hypnotizing yeah, you've got to convince them. Yeah. So what what they do is uh, they'll do something physical with you that will limit your ability to do something. They tell you they're hypnotizing you to not be able to do that thing. Like they will have you place your weight on a foot yeah. that makes it difficult for you to raise that foot, or they will do something where they'll they'll ask you to like look up, like shut your eyes, look up with your eyes, and now op- you cannot open your eyes, and uh, and because you're looking up, it's very hard to open your your, your eyelids. Uh, and so you think, oh, this is because of that. I'm hypnotized. And so once you're once you're on board with that, uh, you're on board pretty much for the whole thing. You think, you know, you, you, you're hypnotized. So it's got to do something physical with you, something small that makes you think, ah. And then once that is, then it's just kind of force of will and convincing. It's just uh, convincing the person that you are a hypnotist, uh, which is interesting and a very uh, dangerous thing to say as a hypnotist. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty fascinating. That is interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of, I didn't know all the tricks, but I, I kind of feel like I sort of, sort of understand what they were attempting. I would say, like, when you're bringing up stand up, I think, like, a big part of being a stand up comedian is going out there and convincing the audience you're a stand up comedian. And you mm-hmm. think, like, oh, I guess you must have to have funny jokes. Well, yeah. maybe. Or you just have to convince them you're a stand up comedian. <laughs> like, you convince them that you have the confidence to go out there and then, like, you sound like a comedian, you're saying things like a comedian. 
And there's, t- there's times I've been on stage, both in improv and sketch and stand-up, where I will sell a joke that is not a joke. Yeah, yeah. That makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And yet people will laugh at it because it's got all the structure of a joke and this is where a joke would be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally like, – I'm totally that of that. I mean, I remember as a kid, like, seeing something and this friend laughing at it and another person saying, that's not even funny. Was this your uh, no soap radio? No, no. This was a, an actual like, and it was actually meant as like a, a humorous comment, but it, it wasn't like the comment wasn't really humorous. It was just the way I said it, and that's yeah. what the other person said. They said, "I said no, it's not necessarily funny, but it's just the way David said it. It made it funny, you know." So yeah, and you have a natural reaction to certain things as yeah. a rhythm, and yeah. then when you have other people in the room laughing at the same time, mm-hmm. and it all builds up. Yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's there's a sketch that we used to do. It was an auction sketch, and we used to do it in uh, a Canadian content, my old sketch group. Yeah. And uh, I I would say like afterwards, there's not a joke in this damn thing. <laughs> but the rhythm that we're doing it in, yeah, is comedy rhythm. Like yeah. this is very who's on first. Like, yeah. I'm the guy who's getting building in frustration. Like, well, I just why are you guys? And I'd say something, and then one person would say something, and another person would top it. Yeah. And then a third person would come in with a crazy ass thing. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to say it's this. And it's like, nothing in this is a joke. Nothing. But it uh, but it worked, and it worked almost every time. And it would like afterwards I'd just go, why did that work? Does anyone know? Does anyone know? But, but it was just the rhythms of it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's super. But that, but, but you're right, and that is super important. That even if the joke is funny, if it's not told properly, it's it doesn't work either, right? So yeah, that's there's a lot of people who are really brilliant writers. Yeah, who will go on stage and do stand up, and it will just like not work. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you're not you're not performing it yet. Yeah, you got it yet. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's why you got to do it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It was like when we went to uh, England and did a show. We did a show like every night for a month, and like by the end of it, it was like, yeah, it's water, it's watertight. <laughs> like even the, even the bits that weren't working at the beginning, yeah, we're still doing those same bits, but we know the rhythms and we know where people will stop laughing, and so we know goose it here, and now just take a pause here. Now here we go, and we just and even though it was a new crowd every night, the rhythms are are similar enough that sure here we go. It was very interesting to do. It was it was uh, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, so, but do we have any other letters? We do, but I just wanted to say something. This is something I've been meaning to bring up for a little while, and this is the perfect opportunity to shoehorn sure, it in. Sure, sure. Which is, I don't know if you knew this, but we lost a sports radio station here in Vancouver. Oh, okay. A sports radio station in, on one day. It was a weird thing. It was like nine thirty in the morning because mm-hmm. some of the people at work listen to it, like other where they work, and uh, so nine thirty in the morning, everyone in the station got this letter. And just told them they were fired. Oh no! And they needed to pack up and leave. Even the guys on air received this and just had to like leave at nine thirty in the morning. And uh, but what the station has become, it's no longer the team ten forty or whatever it was called. Now it is called Funny ten forty, and it's just stand up comedy bits, one after another, all day long, all ah. day long. And it'll be like. You know, it'll just be like a voice from someone going like, Wanda Sykes. And then it plays like a Wanda Sykes bit. Okay. Joe Bernorganen. Like, there's tons of people you've never heard of in your life. Like, part of it, too. Like, lot, some people I know, but a lot of people, I don't know who this person is. But, yeah, it's just like, the. but the thing is, it's not like, it's not like a, like a good 10-minute bit. It's like a two-minute bit. Oh. And that's no good. 
because it comes in on the laughter. Uh-huh. The person says part of their, their act, you know, their carefully structured act that starts here and goes through various stages and builds and builds and builds till you end up on their capper joke. And if they're a good comedian, they, it's all carefully done and they know like, they know each part of it and how it works, you know, and then this, this station extracts one part of this bit, plays it on the show. And sometimes it works, sometimes it's good, but oftentimes you're like, I'm waiting for more. Like, what's the next part of this idea that you're, this person's going with? Oh, you're moving on to something else. Okay, great. Thanks. So it's kind of a weird, weird thing. Uh, but it, but it's um, like I've heard uh, Saint George and the Dragonette played on there, the the Stan Freeberg bit. I've heard some o- other older things. So they they do like Bob Newhart and stuff like that. So it's not just more modern things, but they also play some you know historical stuff. But it's for the most part, it's like modern people. Uh, at some, their voice pitched to the level that's kind of annoying to listen to. If you're not if you're not you know if you're not sort of coaxed into it, you know. Why is everyone? Yeah. Okay. Jeez, calm down. It's so mad about. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. Anyway, it's it's if you want to listen to it, it's on ten forty a.m. Ten forty. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm looking at an article. Vancouver's awesome. Did kind of reviewing it, mm. uh, and uh, they're saying how the ads are still from the old ten forty. Yeah. So yeah. There's a lot like concussion clinics <laughs> have, uh, have ads on there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hockey helps the homeless, which, you know, my our friend David Fine is part of. That's yeah. nice. Uh, but yeah, it's all stuff that, that feels like it's from uh, the oldie days. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what, well, I mean, I guess it's a young, I guess they're trying to go for a younger audience or what. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the median age of interest is in comedy bits. Like, this is kind of weird. This is a weird thing for me. It's like, uh, and the person was saying, over the hour, I heard jokes from 24 comedians, including five A-listers. And the A-listers they put up are uh, Craig Ferguson, Richard Belser, Robin Williams, yeah, Eddie Izzard, yeah, okay, and Freddie Prinz. That's that's an odd <laughs> selection of those. But I mean, they're all they're all well known. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then it gets into like 17 not quite B-listers and all these male comedians. And then and two female B-listers, Morgan Murphy and uh, Maria Bamford. Ooh, like, you must have bristled that. at that. <laughs> I'm bristling a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and mentioning that there were no Canadian comics on it. Um, is, uh, well, they do, have Canadian com- they do have Canadian comics because they still have to follow the Canadian content. Laws. Okay, this person didn't hear any in an hour. So I mean, oh, it's possible that it, yeah. I mean, it has oh, wait, to. Wait, yeah, it says Jeremy Hotz. Yeah, that's Jeremy Hotz is. A, it's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah he just doesn't. South Africa. He just doesn't know. Uh, he doesn't know. Um, I like Jeremy Hotz a lot. Yeah. So I mean, one of my favorite bits from him is one where he just improvised a thing on a madly off in all directions. So he kind of went off from his from his actual bit to just tell a story about him coming like being driven into the the show that that afternoon and it was such a great bit and this this way of telling the story was so perfect it was just a really great uh, uh great listen but yeah um no there are people on there that i'm like oh my god like like maggie smith i think is that her name margaret smith margaret smith Oh yeah, yeah. She's yeah. She kind of stopped doing stand up, but yes. Oh man, with like in her day, like oh, she just oh, had like yeah, the yeah. greatest voice for for yeah. like telling jokes and stuff like that. I like, guess uh, she's just great. Like every time they play her or when I'm listening, I do listen to it quite often when I'm driving, because I you know I like comedy and so I I put up with some of the more annoying elements of it just to have just to re-listen to like you know Rita Redner and Mark, Margaret Smith and and um well, I you know I don't know if I haven't heard Maria Bamford on there. Um, who 
also I, today when I was driving, I heard Wanda Sykes. Uh, Craig Ferguson is very difficult because you never get the opening of his act. Mm. You only get him at his most excited and yeah. most Scottish. <laughs> and and because you're listening on the AM band, it's a little bit distorted, and it's really hard. And you're also driving, and it's really hard to understand what he's saying. So you get this kind of very excited. You know, what is going on? Like, of course, the audience is laughing, but you're like, I don't even. I'm lost because I missed I missed the beginning of this, and I have no context to it. And all right. That's and fine. the audience is shouting, "Do Bing Hitler! Do Bing Hitler!" <laughs> old character, Bing Hitler. And yeah, it's just it's just weird to yeah, it's just odd. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a strange experience. Like yeah, I wish Jeremy, I wish they'd stretch ahead. it out a little bit. I wish they'd stretch out the bits just a bit longer. I think you should send him a little note and tell him that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jeremy Hawks, uh was like the guy in Canada. Like I remember, he was the mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. like that was the hottest guy, the next breakout guy. Yeah, and then. You know who came along? Norm Macdonald. Ah, yeah. Jeremy Hawks had a, he had a style that you could kind of mimic. You know, yeah. You could, like, you had a different style. It's just like, oh, he was very good. The jokes were like this. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, Norm Macdonald came out and just, eh, 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 eh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, if you want to see, it's it's really weird. It, watch Norm Macdonald's Star Search set. And just see him out just doing jokes. Okay. And they're not great jokes. Yeah, yeah. And he's in a suit that's way too big for him. Yeah. And, but, he's, <laughs> but he's still Norm MacDonald, but he's not quite Norm MacDonald. Yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. But, but he, he became the guy, and it kind of broke Jeremy Hotz a little bit. Okay, okay. And said, like, you know, just uh, wind out of the sails. Mm, and you know. mm, and yeah. he's, he's, you know, he's definitely done fine. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a bit they played from Norm Macdonald, which I, I love so much. Cause he's talking about his uncle was uh, dying of cancer. And he said, which seemed to mostly involve him laying in bed watching episodes of Matlock. But he said, but he says, you know what I don't like is that people talking nowadays are like, he's battling cancer. He's battling. He's not dying from cancer. He's battling. And you're like, well, that's what he said, like, battling cancer. Like, seems to mostly involve like laying in bed watching episodes of Matlock. But, you know, what if you lose? Like, when you when you die, did you like lose the battle? Or are you like a too bad? He was fighting so well there, but I guess he chickened out at the end and just <laughs> gave up. Like, he's, you know, it was kind of a, I thought, oh, that's a funny way to, yeah. He's kind of. What I, is, I like I, I, just okay. This is just my little bit back. Sure, sure, it's sure. Just like the idea of just like you just have cancer and like can- cancer's all cocky and everything. And <laughs> just like you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna kill this guy. Yeah. And then he's just like he's in the guy, and then it's like. What's that on TV? Oh no! Well, it's, I mean, he's just gonna watch one episode, right? And then, and then he's like, watches the second one. Like, well, how many of these is he gonna watch? Oh fuck this! I'm out of here. I can watch. I can keep watching this. <laughs> like, if it was a good show, he'd stick around. I can't. <laughs> you pretty dumb, Matlock. <laughs> well, you can only take so much. Yeah, I know you're right. You're you right. Then, I'm just a then, simple country lawyer. Oh, bowel cancer goes, fuck this. I'm out. <laughs> I'm, <here. laughs> I'm done. This isn't worth it. It's not worth it. I'm done. All right. And I'm taking diabetes with me. Come on, gun guys, we're leaving. <laughs> we're leaving here. You're he's, better than this. He's You're never looked better. better. Okay, get out of here. The on, Matlock go. cure. And you, hey, chlamydia, get out of here. <laughs> How'd you get you? Good eye, mate. Okay, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's good, All right. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to the emails. All right, please do. 
It's from the emails in the audience. <laughs> so this is actually from Gina. Oh, yay! Thank you for writing, Gina. So Gina says... Who, who, who by the way, if you don't know Gina, and why would you? Yeah. Uh, she was who I went across the country with to That's right. New York. and The perfect cross-country companion. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, this is titled, or the subject of this email is Sleepy Dragon. Oh. She says, hello, Ian and Dave. I know this is probably too late. No, never too late. But I got all excited when I heard your discussion on sleep and whether or not animals dream because sleep is my current profession. Oh. I am a polysomnographic technologist and I study sleep and sleep disorders in humans. I can say with some confidence that other animals, including fish and birds, display strong evidence of experiencing similar states. I use a modified electroencephalogram, EEG, to study a person's brain waves and subsequent sleep patterns. I attach a series of electrodes to the scalp and also to certain facial muscle face facial muscles. Man, I got through and electroencephalogram, but I couldn't do facial facial muscles. <laughs> You got cocky. I got cocky. Fell apart. Edit that out. Fred, edit that out. No? You're not going to edit it out? You're going to leave it in? <laughs> Fucker. Anyway, facial muscles and other key points on the body, like the chest for heart rates and rhythm, and the legs to record movement during dreams or to identify movement disorders like restless legs. Sleep is broken into some basic categories called non, non-REM or NREM sleep mm-hmm. and REM, rapid eye movement sleep. NREM sleep has three categories called N1, which is a very light transitional sleep, N2, which is a deeper, more stable sleep, and N3, which is deep sleep and is the most refreshing and restorative phase where many hormones and chemicals are released by the brain. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to... Uh, one of the things, that if you're sleepwalking yeah. and you've got REM sleep, uh, you will stand in the place where you live. <laughs> Sleep goes in cycles, starting with a small... Yeah, you just continue to enjoy your joke. I'm going to continue reading. And then face you face north. Okay, thank you. So you went too far. Sleep goes in cycles, starting with a small amount of N1, then N2, and N3. Well, let me ask you this, Gina, while we're talking about this, just for this one, I just want to interrupt for a second. So, as a person who currently is getting about four to four and a half hours of sleep a night... Am I missing out one of those phases, or am I just compressing those phases into a shorter burst? Do you know what I mean? Like, so I'm not, I'm going like N1, N2, and then I'm going to N3, but I'm just not getting like the full amount of N3 that I should get. Let's say due to right. this, due to my my sleeping habits right now. I guess I guess my question is: I often sleep on one side, which puts a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on 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 my on my side. Yeah. Uh, so is it true that uh, everybody hurts? <laughs> Shut up. Fred, you can edit that out, right? You can edit it out, right? You're not going to edit it out? Fucker. So anyway, um, each sleep cycle finishes with a REM cycle. And every episode of Sneaky Dragon ends with the end of an REM cycle. Humans have four to five of these cycles a night. And most people dream whether they remember it or not. Most of our dreaming is done in REM sleep, and reptiles, birds, fish, and other mammals have been tested using EEGs in much the same way and found to have both NREM and REM sleep just like us. Now, whether or not they actually see images 
and experience immersive story events like we do is not something we can test, but every pet owner has likely noticed the eyelids of their pet moving, and that would be REM sleep. Like us, the animal is looking around at the landscape in its dream. During REM sleep, the brain releases a chemical that causes the body to become paralyzed. This is to prevent us from acting out our dreams. Only the eyes and the diaphragm are not affected, so the eyes are quite active. The brain waves are quite distinct in this phase, and tests on an animal show similar REM EEG patterns. Depriving animals of REM sleep causes cognitive impairment, same as us. Fortunately, though, we have coffee. I would have to say that there is ample evidence to support that dreaming is something that many creatures experience. I hope I haven't bored you. I know Dave has been known to snooze on air. Then she says in brackets, snoozy dragon? Gina. Thank you <laughs> yeah, so much, Gina. Yeah, sometimes you can see the animal like just kicking his legs and, I, and, I, and it's just like, uh, what's he doing, night swimming? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. Maybe animals dream... And if animals don't dream well, it's it's not the end of the world as we know it. Okay. One more one more email. And then I'm going to drive all the way to Vancouver to murder you. So uh, this is from Brett Tannehill. And it says, Hypnotist Show. My hypnotist, my hypnotist show story begins with a Kirby vacuum salesman. About mm. 40 years ago, I signed up to have a Kirby vacuum salesman come to my house. <laughs> and in exchange... I got a free six pack of Coca Cola. My girlfriend. Oh, it's too bad you couldn't get that, Mister Mister Cola. <laughs> yes, Mister Cola. This is the aristocrat of colas, which you know you would if you tasted it, you would swear you were just drinking uh, grape cola. Anyway, our grape crush, I should say. Anyway, I got. Uh, he says my girlfriend and I at the time were very poor, and a six pack of Coke was a real treat. The salesman was very good. He showed us all the amazing attachments that came with the Kirby vacuum, including the quote-unquote air freshener that made our house smell like mothballs. We quickly mm-hmm. opened up all the doors and the windows. After an hour, he realized that we weren't going to buy a vacuum, and he left. Mm-hmm. A few days later, we went to a local nightclub to hear music. The halftime entertainment was this Kirby vacuum salesman doing a hypnotist show. He, oh. was, he was really good at it, and the people genuinely seemed to be hypnotized. Then... He finishes act with a magic trick, where he appeared to put an ice pick into the corner of his eye and pushed yeah. it all the way into his brain. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah. He took the ice pick out oh, God. and threw it onto the wooden floor, oh, where it impaled Lord. itself for all sure. to see. Yeah, it's fine. You can do that. That's a thing you can do. Jesus Christ. Coincidentally. Oh, oh God. The day before your episode dropped. Oh, my God. I was telling my son oh. that one of the things on my bucket list is to get oh. hypnotized. That could be a good question of the week. What is on your bucket list? Sure, 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 sure. Oh, man, you guys are doing the work for us this week. Thank you. Yeah, we do appreciate <laughs> We do appreciate that. Oh, boy, I don't like that. Um, uh, yeah, you know what's an odd thing is that there is a big brand of vacuums called Kirby that's been around since, I'm looking it up, 1914. Yeah. And there is a video game character called Kirby. Yeah. And his whole thing is he sucks people in, like he sucks uh, creatures in. Okay. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that brand before. Been around since 1914. Uh, you know, yeah. maybe they're one of those brands that only sell door to door. Like they have a particular kind of way of like getting out into the marketplace that you know they don't. You know what I mean? So like you just don't hear about. I guess if you went to the store now, uh, I don't know what. I don't. I don't often go to vacuum stores, so I don't know what. I don't. I. I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, there, but yeah. And uh, do Kirby vacuums still exist? Yes, they're sold around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're uh, quite a popular um, vacuum cleaner. Interesting. I've never heard of them. 
Yeah, well, and I am I'm a huge fan of uh, vacuums. Some might say. So you are unlike nature. Unlike nature, I do not abhor a vacuum. You're right. And I just want just to follow up on what uh, Brent was saying. I think that I I I think that salesmen uh, do do use a type of hypnotism in their in the sales. I know that when I sell encyclopedias door to door, we basically like. I mean, we did like a a formula speech. We couldn't we couldn't veer off of it and, and improvise. We had to do it as it was written, and it was written in a way that created a a set of patterns that you repeated throughout your throughout the patter, <laughs> and then you you know and and it really was you know it sucked the people listening into into what you were saying and really created like a a conditions that were there where they were highly suggestible. And the suggestions that you had was that you buy these books. And if you go to uh, if you go to meetings of kind of cult like groups like Est or Forum or uh, Nexium, you also are being put through a hypnotic something that is like hypnotism, where it's repetitive, suggestive, and gets you yesing and cr- and creates a situation where you are in a highly suggestive state and attempt you know and, and does do like a form of hypnotism to get you to join in and and you know give them your money. And yeah, those are very dangerous and to be avoided. <laughs> Avoid them. Avoid those things, everyone, because you know what? They can't actually help you. There you are. They can't actually help you. Nope. Okay. And on that note, I think it's time that we we said goodbye, everyone. Okay. Well, we got to come up with questions for next week. We already have the questions. Oh, are we going with both of those? Yeah, All why right, not? So why not? Do you want, or do you All have right, a different question? Specifically, the questions. Then? Specifically, the questions are. Um, well, first, Brent, what is on your bucket list? Okay. And then Ed's, which is, is there something that occurs in movies or in media that you, where, um, oh, I guess I'll look it up. Because yeah, that, you, it. That, that always works for you. Yeah. yeah, that always kind of sucks you into that, into that, uh, I'll, 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 form, I'll formulate it better for the. Um, sure, sir, sure. I'm going to, I'm going to throw one more on, sorry, as a sub, sub question. Sure, sure, sub, sub uh, question. Uh, who's a, who's a comedian you'd recommend? Because we talked about stand up a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who's, okay. a, who's a comedian you like that you're like, hey, you know, you should maybe know about this. Maybe it's someone everyone knows that works for you all the time. Sure, sure. Or maybe it's someone like, oh, maybe someone we should know about. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna throw in a sub-sub-sub-sub sub, sub, sub question then. Oh, my God. Uh, what is your favorite R.E.M. song? Oh, my God. Okay, very good. And did I mention it? And <laughs> did you mention it? <laughs> That's right. And you know, hey, what is, yeah. a, what is an R.E.M. song? That sounds like a movie you recommended earlier in the broadcast. How about that? There's a question for you, Dave. <laughs> what is an REM song that sounded like a movie? Yeah, that sounds like a movie. Yeah. Very similar title yeah. to a movie that you strongly recommended at the very beginning of this podcast. I strongly recommended a movie at the beginning of this podcast? Yes, you did. Very strongly. You went, oh, that's a really great movie. Yes, you should see that movie because it had an actor in it that you liked. Oh. Name of the song, Try Not to Breathe. Oh, okay. Okay. That wasn't at the beginning of the show. That I'm sorry. You... Yeah. But anyway, that's fine. Because there's a movie called Don't Breathe, right? Stephen Lang. Yeah, Don't Breathe. Yep. Yep. Hang on. Just, uh, I tied those things together well. <laughs> you did. You tied them oh, all. You tied them all up in it. You tied them all up in a knot. All right. So we're gonna be we're gonna be on even ground soon enough, brother. So enjoy <laughs> this enjoy this sweet time where you've got the golden tones. Okay, okay, Dean Martin. Okay, Dean Martin. I know, I know, I'm that. I know I'm that. And you're all everyone's really enjoying you. I get it. Go ahead, wrap it up, wrap it up, velvet pipes. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you for listening to the show this week. We really appreciate it. Appreciate the attention. 
And I just want to remind you that these Velvet Tones were on a little podcast called The Dirty Harry Minute, doing a movie commentary on The Deadpool. Not one of the more entertaining Dirty Harry films, but Jonathan and I made it entertaining with our fabulous commentary. So check it out. Also, don't forget to leave a comment or send an email to us. You can go to our website. It's called SneakyDragon.com. You can leave a comment there under the show. We'll read it and respond and enjoy what you have to say. Or you can email to us to at, at oot. Frank, can we cut that out? You can cut that out, right? You can't. Fuck, what are you even here for? Get rid of that editor. Uh, we, we cut him out of the show uh, about 100 episodes ago. <laughs> Fred, the editor? I yeah, forgot. we cut the editor out. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was our uh, that was our editor. That wasn't uh, Ken, that was our editor. You know, and you keep calling him by the wrong name. Obviously, his name is Kenneth. That's why I have not often saying what's the frequency, Kenneth, as I normally how, do during the show. Yeah, how often are you going to do that, Kenneth? What's the frequency? Anyway, um, sneakydragon dot com is our email, and we love to hear from you via email, and also gives me the chance to. Uh, Practice these golden pipes, reading your emails, everyone. <laughs> so, um, so thank you. That's it. We should go. Mm-hmm.